It's Tuesday, November 29th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on- and off-duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the My Pillow family. Big big savings following Black Friday. They've got overstock. They've got bigger sales than you've ever experienced down at My Pillow. And a promo code stick at checkout, you're going to get well, even more savings than they're offering on TV. Thank you, Mike Lindell. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. 25% off when you enter promo code STAKEOFF there. 50% off when you monthly subscribe. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep-related. MyStore.com forward slash steak for anything coffee-related. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, got five on it? Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has launched My Patriot Cigars. Age three years, hand-rolled, picked from the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Noah Radom. 10 out of 10. Love it. And a promo code stake here. getting 15% off your total order. All orders over $100. Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike, down at West Coast Survival Arms, has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, he's also got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is WestCoastSurvivalArms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast, backs to blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair and home of the Zero Fuck Stuck can only be found at Dumpbox. Still don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at SteakForBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome, Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 191. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Guys, we've got an all-star lineup of commentators coming in today. In addition to that, the entire pod team's here. Antoinette, good morning. 
But before we get into any of that, let's jump right into the news. $90 billion to Ukraine just this year. That's double what we spent annually in Afghanistan. That's far more than Russia's entire annual military budget. But it's still not enough for the president of Ukraine, Zelensky. He doesn't ask the U.S. Congress for money. He demands it. Here he is over the last three months. Watch this. We absolutely need the United States to show leadership and give Ukraine the air defense system. But believe me, it, it's not even nearly enough to cover the civilian infrastructure, schools, hospitals, universities, homes of Ukrainians. We have two uh, key financial needs of the country. That's $38 billion to make up for the deficit of our budget for next year, and other $17 billion that were verified by the World Bank and needed to rebuild the critical infrastructure. We would really like for the support, especially the amount of support, to stay the same and to have this joint support from the U.S. society and, above all, U.S. taxpayers, because at the end of the day, this is not the money of the government, but the money of the people. Yeah, so I, I, don't, want, I don't want to give you my money. But you are. I know. Almost 90 billion this year. Wait, so it's the dead, most deadly war in the history of wars, mm -hmm. and yet we're critical infrastructure paying for their universities to stay open, homes of Ukrainians, homes of Ukrainians. He said it. So we're repairing, repairing people's homes, mm -hmm. and how much are the beach parties? Is it beach blanket bingo time yet, mm -hmm. or is it too cold there? I don't know. We we never did get down to the brass tacks on that one. Well, thanks for joining us today. We're coming back out of the Thanksgiving weekend with a heater here on Steak for Breakfast. Remember, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Be sure to share all of our content across social medias and, of course, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We really appreciate that. And we'll be back on Friday and Saturday this week. So a full programming lineup of Steak for Breakfast as we uh, are coming out of the Thanksgiving holiday and back into the normal news cycle. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky wasn't the only dictator we were kowtowing to over the weekend. Uh, mm. Everybody saw the presser yesterday with the former DOD spokesman, now bullpen ace for Green Jean Pierre. John Kirby was fielding questions on the newly announced deal that we've reached with Venezuela and uh, dictator Maduro in uh, going back down there to drill for oil instead of doing it here. Perfect. Yeah, let's hear Peter Ducey ask him. All about that. And on the sanctions relief for Venezuela, yeah. why is it that President Biden would rather let U.S. companies drill for oil in Venezuela than here in the U.S.? That's uh, not an accurate take hmm. uh, on the president's view. Earlier this month, he said no more drilling. There is no <clears throat> more drilling. The president has issued... 9,000 permits for drilling on U.S. federal lands, Peter. 9,000 of them being unused. There are plenty of opportunities for oil and gas companies to drill here in the United States. I'll let Chevron speak for this particular issue of sanctions relief, but our expectation is it won't be a lot of oil coming out of there. It will have to be shipped to the United States. Does the president think there's some benefit to the climate to drill oil in Venezuela and not here? No, it has nothing to do with a benefit to the climate, Peter. Again, there are 9,000 unused permits here in the United States on federal land that oil and gas companies can and should take advantage of. 9,000. Uh, and we're talking about one 
there in Venezuela. Um, now, look, it remains to be seen how much will get drilled down there. Um, it'll be up to Chevron to decide that, Peter. Um, but, uh, but as a function of the sanction itself, that oil, whatever product is drilled, has to come to the United States. <laughs> no, I want to go back. It was almost seven months ago now that you had made the uh, Thanos Maduro meme. Mm. Um, the one that I captioned with, you cannot live with your own sanctions. And where does that bring you back to me? And here we are. No time traveling. You must be a uh, healthy medium in regards to being able to sense that stuff because that was one of your best ever. That goes up <laughs> there with the Lindell Thanos, which was frowned upon at my pillow. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my pillow. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Oh, we're that gonna was get, a good one. We're going to get into Mike Lindell, the, the wrecking ball, a little bit later. I don't, I don't know if you've seen the news with him lately, but uh, it's mildly worrisome, but we'll talk about it. Well, this 9,000 unused uh, U.S. oil drilling permits. Mm-hmm. I mean, they keep saying that. They keep just sending out this this magic number. I mean, there's no context to that because, there, yeah, there might be 9,000 uh, leases available, but that doesn't mean that they can just magically drive a truck up and start work. Right. Don't forget about all those uh, re-regulations the Biden administration instituted after the Trump administration removed lots of them. And, uh, you know, some of, some of the lands are just completely inoperable for, you know, it would take a decade just to be able to start pulling anything out of the ground. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking online. Jennifer Pett with the Independent Petroleum Association of America, the IPAA, which represents independent oil and natural gas producers, told uh, this website that I'm looking at that more than 9,000 approved permits aren't producing oil and gas right now. Joshua Axelrod with the National Resources Defense Council also confirmed that more than 9,000 approved permits are unused. However, that doesn't mean oil companies could just start drilling right now and produce oil and gas. According to the IPAA, some of these leases are going through a complex regulatory process or are held up in litigation. So the complex complex regulatory process is probably based on all these green energy uh, rules that are directly, their goal is to stymie any chance of drilling. Mm-hmm. Just like fucking Biden says, there's going to be no more drilling. Okay, yeah, I believe you. Because it's not happening. Yeah. Got to love it. Don't worry, though. The White House just announced that an international summit for democracy is going down in March. Mm. Perfect. Can't wait to see what that's all about. Uh, Well, Ukraine and Venezuela aren't the only places that shit's hitting the fan, both literally and figuratively. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we all have been tracking, you know, the fallout from the Brazilian elections where over 119 million people cast their votes and uh, the votes were counted same day. I want to remind everybody for that. But uh, there has been some massive protests there in regards to the outcome of the presidential election, which they feel is a little bit rigged and stolen. Tucker Carlson weighed in on it last night and gave us an update about stuff that's not being covered in the mainstream media about it. Let's hear it. Oh, and the left won. And when the left wins, you can't contest the outcome because, of course, it's legitimate. But not everyone in Brazil is convinced of that. In fact, millions of people think the election was rigged and they now have a criminal as president. So there are protests underway across the country. There are reports tonight from investigative journalist Matt Terman that the Brazilian military stands with the incumbent president, Jair Bolsonaro. Matt Terman joins us tonight. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. I know it's a complicated situation, but I, you follow this as closely as any English speaker. How would you summarize it? 
Well, you're right. It is a complicated situation. We are in day 29 of mass protests in Brazil, a democratic country with free elections. And we're talking not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, but millions. And what looks to be, when all said and done, will be tens of millions. This is the largest democratic protest in possibly human history. And the global media is crickets on this. It is totally being memory hold in real time. Uh, but the people are very clear. They do not want to be uh, led by a convicted criminal. And recall, Lula da Silva was convicted in three separate courts of 12 charges by 19 judges unanimously, not Bolsonaro appointees. This was years before Bolsonaro. And his judicial appointees in the Supreme Court had freed him in the last two years just so he could run in this race. And they annulled and vacated his multiple sentences, 12-year sentence, 580 days he served. They let him out to run. And Brazil has a law in the books that says no convicted felon can be an elected office. And they vacated that. They mm. absolutely put him on the chessboard so that they could attempt to control the outcome. And now the people in mass are crying foul. Even in the districts where he supposedly has a stronghold, uh, say the Amazon with indigenous peoples, they're marching on Brasilia. Every city in the country is filled with protesters. And now the question is, what is to be done when you have a judiciary that is not comprised of judges in the classical sense, impartial, nonpartisan judges, but political appointees and partisans who are working to skew an electoral outcome. Uh, and so the military has a special role in the Brazilian Constitution, Article 142, that says they are the ones to adjudicate separation of power disputes. And it looks like this will be coming to a head. Mm. Possible military coup from Balso down there. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, when you just look at the logistics of it, Lula judges vacating a sentence, sponging his felonies, allowing him to run, smallest margin in a presidential election in decades, mm -hmm. and uh, not the outcome that it seems like the people wanted. Um, it's been pretty interesting developments. Weird. Uh, you're saying that the government's doing stuff the people don't want them to do? That sounds oddly familiar. Don't know where I've heard stuff like that. Yeah. Actually, let's swing it on over to Maricopa. So we, <laughs> did, we, did, we did have some hearings on the election, which we know was probably one of the worst run in the history of our country on uh, November 8th of this year, um, leading up to the certification process, which came through the weekend. They certification did. with a gun to their head, basically? Well, w when, when you hear it, it it's, seems like they were all kind of really excited to certify this election for Katie Hobbs. We did see some of the uh, hearings that took place so talking about uh, voting problems that they had day of and disenfranchised voters, etc. I thought one of the best hot takes of the entire hearing was from Real America's Voice, Ben Berkwam, who's their border correspondent, he's been on the ground there in Maricopa for quite some time. Let's hear him weigh into the uh, committee. I typically don't speak at these. I represent uh, folks. I have an organization called Frontline America, and I also represent a media outlet, Real America's Voice News. We were denied entry along with my colleague, Jordan Conradson, to the election office, uh, and I figured this was an appropriate time to redress my grievance. I spend most of my time on the southern border exposing the invasion that's going on down there, especially here in Arizona and what's coming into our country. The biggest concern I have is if this election is certified, the only parties that will benefit from this are the cartels. Uh, they've taken over Mexico and sadly they've taken over many politicians in America. Mm. What we saw on election day was outrageous. And to say that it was anything but that is 
Uh, either you think we're stupid or you're just that arrogant. Uh, what we've seen from you in the election office and your response, very simple questions needed to be asked. 2020 was a disaster. How was 2022 worse? You cannot say that you can certify an election when half of the voting machines were down. Was it 1,000 people that were disenfranchised? Was it 10,000 of the people that were there in line or the people that didn't show up because they saw in the news the election machines didn't work? The fact that you've already made up your minds, you've already made the decision. This is, this is all semantics. All of us coming up here and speaking is semantics. You've already made your vote. You've already made this decision. You said the world is watching and you're right. They're watching and they're watching this disaster play out in front of them. You responded to the AG with the most, most pathetic, inept response I've ever seen. You have not redressed the grievances of these people. That is the question. And the answer that I hear from everyone across this room is, you cannot certify. So the question is, what is the remedy? The fact that you were on a pack that was going against Kerry Lake, as well as Richer, going against Kerry Lake, how can you say that there's no conflict of interest? You have a secretary of state running against a gubernatorial candidate. How can you say there's no conflict of interest? And then your machines go down on election day. It is absolutely outrageous. If you certify today, the only thing you'll be certifying is your corruption. Yeah. And again, we just want to point out, moving forward, the way we vote in upcoming elections, especially in 2024, is going to have to change. The Democrats' answer to day of overwhelming the system is we'll just have everything not work. Yeah, and that and that worked great. Sure did. I mean, no pun intended. No, you're you're, you're definitely right. No, but that was that was literally like, oh, so these people are all you know clamoring to vote same day. So, mm-hmm. well, we're just going to have the uh, the old ink. Uh, ink cartridges in the machines and we'll have, you know, the shitty internet service hooked up. The 20 inch paper when the machines only take the 19 inch paper. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, we'll do all of that. And, uh, but it doesn't discredit the claims and it doesn't go outside of the narrative that they have been doing stuff for, this is probably ground zero for the worst elections in, in, in our country right now. And just the way the whole process goes with them slow bleeding results and everybody, you know, it's like Vegas odds on betting which way they're going to go. And it's an absolute abomination to our, you know, supposedly free and fair system. Well, there's no difference than to this. Certifying this election is no difference than uh, all those uh, lawsuits that were uh, dismissed on no standing. It's the same thing. It's it's a legal jargon term. Oh, but the it was a, election was certified. And then you have an argument with somebody about the election fraud in the in the original election. Well, no, those all those claims were dismissed on no standing. It's yep. like, well, do you know what that means? Yeah. That means they just didn't want to do it. Right. Just right. like these people who didn't want to object to certify or uh, object to. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. Yeah. And, and we've pointed it out several times. And the, the reason I speculate, which, I, which probably is the truth, uh, on why these judges never step in and put their foot down, even when we saw decent-ish ones maybe possibly doing it in Georgia back after 2020, was that a judge that, supposedly can disenfranchise hundreds of thousands, if not millions of voters will have their, you know, families pulled out in the street and, and their homes burnt down. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just the way it is. It's, it's stuff that just doesn't happen, you know, overturning like a, a township election where it's like the machine went down and 3000 votes weren't counted is like one thing, but you know, a state or federal election, when you're talking about governors and senators, house representatives, it's, it's, it's just something that I don't ever see us getting to until we get to the bottom of fixing this. So, we need an answer to it. The Maricopa 
Maricopa County Board of Supervisors had their answers after the hearing. Let's hear how, if you haven't yet, this all ended. Integrity of my colleagues up here on the dais and the integrity of Stephen Richer were questioned over and over and over again. Mm. And I know this is not my seat. This is the people's seat that I sit in. And one day I won't sit in this seat. But while I'm sitting here, I'm going to defend the integrity of these five men. You can think what you want to about me. But these are good men who are in public service for the right reasons, and I am proud to serve with every single one of them. Again, this was not a perfect election, but it was safe and secure. Oh. The votes have been counted oh. accurately, oh. and I thank everyone for their attention today. And with that, I would entertain a motion. Mr. Chairman, I would make the motion that we approve the November 8th, 2022 Maricopa County general election canvas. And I ask for a vote. All right, thank you for that motion. Do we have a second? I'll, I'll be happy to second the motion uh, from Supervisor Gallardo. All right, thank you. We have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? All in favor, please say aye. 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 All opposed? The motion passes. Thank you very much, everyone. This meeting is adjourned. Sounds pretty free in front of me. What do you it, think? Yeah, it's all? weird how the microphones are only on for the people that they want to hear from. Like I, I seem to hear in the background the peanut gallery saying, No, this is this is fucked up, basically. Stephen Richter and the uh, other Bill Gates. Yeah, this is awful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd never I mean, nothing surprises me anymore because now it's just rampant, just complete and utter just thievery. In your face. And they're just like, you know what? We keep getting away with it, and everybody else is on our side. The legal system's on our side. The fucking DOJ's on our side. The government, everything. It's we're just going to fucking keep doing it, and we're just going to make it look okay on the on the books, and that's it. Pretty funny how Mark Elias got dispatched there pretty fast, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, that wasn't the only place where shit was hitting the fan. Like I said, I don't know if you saw over the weekend, Noah, things have been popping off in China. Mm. So after three and a half years of COVID lockdowns, including the uh, most recent where they're welding people in their houses again, died in a huge apartment fire last week from that, weren't able to get out and the, the fire response. Departments that responded weren't able to get close enough to to put a dent in the flames. So, you imagine? Oh, they had over forty people die, including several children. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there. About how about how- the uh, the iPhone factory that they tried to lock everybody in and yeah. just like, hey, guess what? You guys are just going to work twenty four hours a day just because safety and no COVID, no COVID, no COVID. You can work twenty four hours a day, fuckers. F- former Trump administration uh, DNI John Ratcliffe. Weighed in on this with Tucker last night. I thought it was a pretty good narrative. I want everybody to hear it if they're not caught up on this one yet. So John Ratcliffe knows more than almost any living American about what's actually happening in China. He was the director of national intelligence under the last administration. And he has long warned he has been one of the few voices in Washington to point out that China is the threat, the preeminent threat. John Ratcliffe joins us tonight with his reaction to what is happening in that country tonight. Mr. Ratcliffe, thank you so much for coming on. So hey, Tucker, it, it's hard to have perspective on this for most people, including me, when you see these videos. How significant, how serious are these protests potentially, do you think? 
Well, we've never seen protests like this uh, in over 30 years in China, uh, and it really will force uh, the Chinese government to change their governance model. Ever since Tiananmen Square, Tucker, what the Chinese Communist Party has done, they said, we're not going to let that happen again. We're going to engage in the largest uh, massive surveillance state in the history of the world against our own citizens. And if we get even a whiff of discontent, uh, we're going to stamp it out. And they've been successful in doing that. Uh, this is the first time in 33 years that we've now seen nationwide protests. And it's not just a, the problem or the challenge for Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party is it's moved from just a one issue, COVID issue, to now a call for his removal and for regime change. So yeah. I don't think anyone knows exactly how this will play out, but it's very serious. Uh, and very clearly, the Chinese Communist Party is going to have to adopt a different governance model go going forward in light of what's happening there. I don't think a day has passed in the last two years where the rest of us haven't gotten a lecture about, quote, democracy from the Biden administration. <laughs> Given their commitment to democracy, how can they not have a position on this? Well, the president's statement today was, uh, let's just be nice. It was, uh, it was late, slow, weak, uh, and cowardly. That's about the kindest thing you can say. I mean, this is yeah. the same president who... Uh, had an opportunity to confront the, pre the Chinese president after three years and a, and a million Americans were killed by a virus that originated in China and he didn't do it. So, so as disheartening as it is, it's not surprising. Um, and, you know, I thought you and Laura really outlined, you know, what's happened here. The silence from the left is deafening. You know, as DNI, I saw this type of, uh, you know, intelligence on a daily basis about how brutal yes. the Chinese Communist Party could be. Um, but on the, le uh, on the left, what we've seen is, uh, you know, some are silent because of greed. That's your Hollywood crowd, your uh, Wall Street crowd, your NBA groups and organizations that want access to 1.4 billion Chinese. And no matter what uh, they do, uh, uh, it's not going to be enough to turn them away from that. But the other, as Laura said, are, are the group that's complicit. That's your Washington politicians, your blue state governors, your Dr. Anthony Fauci's, your uh, teachers union president, Randy Weingarten. These are the people who can't condemn the Chinese Communist Party because to do so would be to condemn, condemn themselves. They are the group that has praised and protected and defended and in some cases emulated the same lockdown measures that the Chinese Communist right. Party is engaged in right now. Yep. And to condemn the Chinese Communist Party would be to condemn themselves and to admit the American people that they've been lying for three years and that they were wrong. And I don't think we're going to see that. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot longer than three years, but I yeah. get where, uh, you know, former DNI Ratcliffe was going with that one. It's uh, for assuredly uh, very alarming, but, you know, Prayers out to uh, the Chinese people who are standing up because we know. Uh, it's weird how our media is not covering it. Well, much. Guess what? In our, in our last audio clip of the cold open, believe it or not, John Kirby was asked about Joe Biden's stance on this yesterday, and I'm, I'm sure he'll, his uh, answer won't impress you. I'm wondering what is the president's reaction when he hears protesters in China chant freedom or Xi Jinping step down? The president's not going to speak for protesters uh, around the world. They're speaking Wait, what? for themselves. So there's no reaction? This, the, the, these protesters are speaking for themselves. What we are doing is making it clear that we support the right of peaceful protest. Oh, well, there's always that. <laughs> yeah, absolute shit show and, and, and non-answer from the Biden administration because we know how much... Uh, yeah, weren't they getting behind the protesters when it was uh, all the BLM guys? Only the mostly peaceful ones. Only the most peaceful uh, we won't be talking protests, but we will be talking a couple other things. I mean, things that we don't normally get to cover on the show, like FTX, and then 
one of our favorite issues, the border and more. Let's jump into it right now. We're going to have one of our favorite lawyers who can weigh in on just about anything regarding the Biden administration. All right, joining us first on the show today, he's the former acting U.S. Attorney General. He's also the host of Liberty and Justice, one of our favorite podcasts. He's joining us again on Steak for Breakfast. Mr. Matt Whitaker, thanks for coming down with us today. I love doing this show. I'm sorry it's been so hard to schedule me over the last uh, little bit of time. Um, I'm almost becoming a regular like Cash and and Rick, but it's good to be with you. Um, I'm glad to be in one place for more than one day. Well, there you go. I was going to say you had a pretty rigorous schedule going up through the midterm elections and probably with the Thanksgiving holiday. Programming note, Rick Cornell is rescheduled again. Also, he's on a... uh, eight-day getaway to Serbia. Hmm. So he says he's going to reschedule with us before Christmas, though. So we'll be getting back with him as uh, he's one of our favorite guests, too. Sir, how was your Thanksgiving? I mean, obviously, we want to talk about the fallout from the midterm elections and stuff like that and and get all caught up on things before we jump into a couple issues. Yeah. Well, you know, in all seriousness, um, this was a really good Thanksgiving. Um, You know, I I do a daily... uh, practice of uh, some doing gratitude, but I think Thanksgiving always uh, is kind of the meta gratitude for me. And it, it's an ability to slow down and, and have a day where, you know, the phone's not buzzing and the emails aren't pinging. And it's really a, um, it's a great holiday. You know, I, I'm always reminded uh, of the original Thanksgiving declaration from uh, Abraham Lincoln. Um, that really puts it all in perspective and, you know, again, reminds us of, uh, of God's hand uh, in the formation and continuance of our country. And uh, so it's always Thanksgiving is always a special, special day and it's able to spend it with some, you know, family and, uh, and watch some football and just kind of celebrate America and be thankful for what we have both uh, personally and professionally and especially um, as a country. Yeah, you know, you make some good points there, and I, I mean, I, I kind of was the same way. This was such a busy, you know, part of the year cycle. This was a weird midterm election year in regards to the just the overall nature of it. I mean, we're still seeing some parts of it unfold as we speak now. We had the Maricopa thing go down just the other day, and then, you know, like you said, getting a chance to unplug, unwind, sit down, watch my kids running around, enjoying themselves, and just spend some time with family, I think it – it kind of trumped everything else that was going on just to be able to disconnect for even if just for a few hours and not have to worry about anything else uh, other than what's really important. And uh, it's really good that you kind of pointed out that way. Now, I remember last time you were on, you talked about uh, you were working on one of the campaigns that you were focused on was was for Eric Schmidt in, in Missouri. Yeah. He was able to get over the finish line. He's going to be a senator out of the state from there. Uh, wh- what do you give the midterm elections as far as an overall grade on the Republican side? Yeah. Oh, I would say I give it a C. I mean, I was very, you know, uh, disappointed in uh, the Nevada uh, result. And, uh, you know, I was disappointed in what happened in Arizona. Uh, but in Missouri, it was a bright spot for me personally. Uh, you know, I had put a lot of uh, personal capital into uh, that primary, making sure that Eric Schmidt was the nominee. You know, he ended up winning by, I think, 10 or so points. And so... Uh, you know, he's going to be a great senator, um, just a just a really good dude uh, and a good person and just kind of has his, um, you know, has his priorities squared around and squared away. You know, I just, um, you know, I, I think it was a tough map in the Senate side. Um, and if we don't figure out Nevada and Arizona, 
uh, going into 24 and 26 and 28, we're going to have, you know, some struggles because those are, those states are so close. And, you know, obviously the, the Dems continue to mobilize their voters better than we do. But that being said, you know, we picked up the house and, um, and so I think that was, uh, you know, that's the bright spot. It's going to be tight, but, you know, control and taking it away from Nancy Pelosi uh, can't be understated. No, it really can. It's going to be good to see her riding off, well, sipping off into the sunset. Mm. But the fact of the matter is we did make some big gains over the last couple of election cycles in the U.S. House of Representative taking back control after this midterms. And I will, listen, we're all in the same boat here as far as the senatorial candidates. Everyone outside of Dr. Oz was a regular guest on Steak for Breakfast. We built some really good relationships with not only the teams, but the people like Adam and Blake and, and all the other ones that are running. You know, Herschel Walker still has the runoff. The importance of that race is, is critical in, in, in regards to uh, how we whip moving forward in the new year instead of having to go after just Mansion and Cinema and trying to get them to stop some of this Biden legislation that may sneak through the House, you know, moving forward. Uh, losing that Senate seat to Raphael Warnock would, would make it that much harder. So we definitely agree with you there. Uh, we, we are going to have to change the way we do some things in regards to elections. And then hopefully with local mm-hmm. and state elections, getting different people into some of these states like Arizona and Nevada. But, yeah, it's it's it, it's a process. And, and, and you know, kind of going through the growing pains, that has spilled over into uh, potential Republican leadership moving forward into the new year. Do you think because of the way the midterm elections kind of panned out, we are seeing some of this you know, like I said, growing pains in the House of Representatives, the GOP chair, uh, in regards to, uh, you know, possible challenges for leadership? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, in the era of Trump, there's been a complete turnover in the makeup of the House. I think it's, you know, it's a different brand of republicanism. um, And, you know, I think you're seeing that play out in some of the some of the House um, speaker, especially um, election. But I don't think at the end of the day, I mean, it's, you know, politics ultimately, you know, comes down to a little bit of compromise every now and again. And I think in this case, I don't see anybody that, you know, is going to be able to get the majority of the House caucus except Kevin McCarthy. Um, I think we've seen in the past, um you know, several of these speakers like, you know, Paul Ryan and, um, you know, others that have had a hard time holding their caucus together, um, certainly uh, not holding it together as well as Nancy Pelosi has held the Democrat caucus, even as disparate as they are um, in their, um, you know, they I, I would say they have a broader range in that caucus on the left than we do on the right. And it's, you know, obviously it's like herding cats sometimes, but you know, it'll be interesting. I think this, you know, to some extent it's the fight for the speakership is also a fight for the agenda sure. in the house and what they accomplish. And I think there's a, there's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, as you guys know. Um, and as a country, so. Yeah. Moving forward, we're just going to have to uh, kind of take it from there and, and see where it goes. I, I think it's actually healthy to see this some kind of open debate challenge to leaderships because at the end of the day, we kind of feel Kevin McCarthy will be the eventually eventually the speaker, but we think this open you know challenge to let him know that it's just not going to be a cakewalk might force some of those more Trump aligned era policy agendas to get mm-hmm. you know on the slate and stuff in, in regards to uh, oversight judiciary committees as well, which are things that we definitely need to focus on uh, moving forward. We've had so many congressmen go over the 
you know, jump in the mainstream media news cycle over the course of the last couple of weeks and talk about this is about putting a bandaid on everything that's broken now, performing oversight, you know, conducting investigations, and then making sure that in 24 we're, we're ready to go to uh, make it a larger majority, win back the Senate, and obviously the White House, which is the next thing I wanted to touch on. You obviously saw the big announcement a few Tuesdays ago. President Trump announced his candidacy to run for president in 2024. We thought the timing was perfect, kind of clearing the field early. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of logistical stuff, national networks. Uh, you know, obviously, the way we vote may be changing uh, moving forward and. uh you know, the 2024 election, hitting some of those early votings and mail-in voting demographics that, that kind of hurt us in the midterm elections. I, I think it's perfect, you know, uh, instead of waiting until possibly the next year, like some of the other candidates may. Uh, what did you feel about the announcement? We, we liked the speech. It was definitely a little bit of a different tone. There was jokes. There was a couple shots at people, you know, normal President Trump rhetoric. But the fact of the matter came off as uh, elder statesman-like, uh, kind of put out a lot of receipts like there are a lot of people who are going to come and challenge the MAGA agenda but here's the fact of the matter I've already done it this is the results and, and this is what we're going to do moving forward uh did you think it was a good speech and uh, are you excited to see Donald Trump back in the uh, arena yeah I, I am I, I you know obviously um you know I know the president well and have spent a lot of time around him and have a lot you know a lot of um Belief in his agenda and his vision for our country, um, you know, his speech, if you think, I mean, I think it's always very interesting to me. And, you know, I hear because of my, you know, proximity to President Trump, I hear a lot of people complain about how he should be one way or he should be another way. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard more than one person, you know, tell me is that he needs to be more statesmanlike, right? And that's, you know, I don't know exactly what that means, um, but, you know, that speech he gave on his announcement certainly um, was, uh, you know, as, as kind of disciplined uh, as I've seen him in a while um, giving a speech. And he said exactly what he wanted to say. He didn't very, uh, very off his script, um, maybe a couple times. Um, I think there was, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was once where I could tell he was kind of free riffing, but yeah. you know, otherwise I felt like it was a very, um, well-constructed speech. You know, I know, I know his speech writers and uh, I've worked with them on some other projects. And so I know, um, you know, that they bring a great voice to the president. Um, but at the same time, you know, every word is, you know, pure Donald Trump. And so I, I thought, you know, I don't know, I think people wanted a little more maybe fire and bombast, but I don't think that was uh, the right, uh, you know, moment in time. So I think he did. I thought he, I thought he struck the right tone. And I mean, we have a lot of challenges as a country and uh, you know, we, you know, Joe Biden has run us certainly into a ditch especially economically, but even, you know, uh, from a worldwide perspective and what they're, what they've done it's either to our energy sector is practically criminal. Yeah. Uh, you know, begging oil from, you know, countries that don't like us very much. Um, and so, you know, I think, and, and the other thing, you know, I, as a, as a, uh, as a practical matter by, by America no longer being energy independent, I think that reinserts us into the Middle East and all of the conflict and challenges that, that the Middle East faces and, uh, you know, uh, continues that, um, you know, what we tried to get out of over the last 20 years from our, you know, dependence on Middle Eastern oil. So, uh, you know, I think uh, obviously the vision that Trump laid out is 
is uh, I think the the one that's right for America. And now he's going to have to, I don't think it's going to, you know, you mentioned something about clearing the field. I don't, you know, again, I'm not a political pundit. I'm a lawyer. Um, I'm a doctor, not a mechanic, Jim, to quote <laughs> Star Trek. Um, but um, I do think uh, that, you know, certainly there is going to be a primary process <clears throat> uh, starting in my home state of Iowa, which is exciting. The Iowa caucuses in February of 2024. And, uh, you know, all the candidates, uh, whoever decides to run, is going to have to lay out their vision for the future. And, you know, the I think the primary voter on the Republican side is a fairly sophisticated voter, uh, understands um, that not only do you have to share their values, but you also have to explain how you can win the presidency. And that's, uh, you know, I think everybody's all ears on on those on those facets. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how people try to uh, spin their different version of MAGA because that is obviously an overwhelming majority of the base right now. Uh, we, we always like to remember uh, and we always like to remind our listenership the fact when it comes to the Rust Belt, there's only been very few people who have been immensely successful there, one of them being Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, the, the message that he usually generates is one that resonates with them so well. So it's going to take a lot of uh, kind of different appeal. And, and in my brain, I just can't formulate it, but I do hope the you know, the primary process is a rigorous one. I, obviously, I, I consider it a short sharpening uh you know period for donald trump but uh i, I think he's going to be just fine uh at the end of the day the the democrats and the radical progressives up in dc didn't let us enjoy the announcement too long within 48 hours uh current attorney general merrick garland uh you know appointed a special counsel headed by jack smith i know you've weighed in on this in, in great extent but i did want to get a take on the show on it uh I mean, it's almost laughable at this point. You know, the special counsel is being appointed to look into probings into Donald Trump, which literally, you know, projects that they don't really have anything, but they're going to see if they could find anything. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's one of those things as someone who, you know, sat in the chair and, and, and really has, you know, respect for the position and uh, knows the direction the country needs to go in like you do, Matt, and where it's going when we do stuff like this. It's just absolutely kind of an embarrassment for our, you know, just law enforcement and, and judicial community overall. Yeah, it is. And I, I saw a really good point made recently about how Merrick Garland's appointment um, of a special prosecutor um, was uh, sort of unprecedented because, you know, obviously, uh, you know, while the regulations at DOJ that, that provide for a special prosecutor uh, are a little vague and give tremendous discretion to the attorney general um, as to the appointment of it. The tradition has always been because of the um, because of the con the inherent conflict of investigating your own administration and especially the White House or the president or the president's family or you know somebody high up. Um, that's typically when a special counsel has been used to 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 raise it above the partisan fray to make sure that you're not doing any kind of an insider deal and to bring kind of true independence. We've never seen the president's opponent have a special counsel appointed. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I really, I would point to that to, to make this point is I think it's a really an overt act of weaponization of the Department of Justice to appoint a special counsel yeah. to investigate the opponent of the sitting president in the potential uh, upcoming election. I, I, just, I, I you know, I, I want to, uh, you know, I read, um, 
that analysis, I agree with that analysis. And I just, I, I think it is even more dramatic than we realize uh, what's happening uh, right now and how, um, because if you think about a special, special counsel, it's the only time as prosecutors that we name our target and ta- discuss the crimes, the alleged crimes. Yeah. And so we're doing that again against the opponent of the president. It's a it's a pure weaponization of the Department of Justice and its regulations. And I, I don't think it's going to age well, ultimately, uh, what Merrick Garland has done. No, and he couldn't have appointed somebody more fair and balanced and, and definitely goes by the rule of law without any special interest than Jack Smith to head it as well. Uh, we saw, you know, all of his... I mean, obviously ties to the Obama administration and to Merrick Garland and then some of his yep. wife's special interests as well, being a huge Democrat donor and, and being one of the people who uh, made the Michelle Obama documentary happen. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. President Trump has pointed out over the course of the last week or so many other, you know, uh, things that make it a conflict of interest. But we'll, we'll have to see where that goes. And and goes into, you know, going back on what the Republicans are trying to do. Obviously, they're they're looking to investigate Joe Biden at the uh, at the House level in the Judiciary Committee after uh, January into some of his business dealings during the time when he was the vice president and then as a private citizen. And and then we saw that. you know, Kevin McCarthy came out last week when he went down to the southern border with some of his House counterparts and talked about the d- absolute disaster that's going on down there and the investigation that's going to begin if Merrick Garland doesn't decide to uh, resign, which we don't feel like he will. Uh, he did just fire uh, CBP Commissioner Chris Magnus a little over a week ago before Thanksgiving, but we, we kind of think the buck stops there in, in, you know, ways the Biden administration is showing some f- semblance of accountability when we all know it doesn't really mean anything. Where do you think that investigation into uh, the Department of Homeland Security is going to be moving after the first of the year? Oh, goodness. Um, well, it would li- it'd be nice if they got back to the mission um, of protecting the border. Uh, yeah. You know, my understanding is, is that it is uh, everyone on the border uh, whose who's job, you know, in, including customs, are having to uh, really just be serving an admin role of uh, processing these uh, illegal entrants. And what I worry most about is there appears to be no, um, you know, depending on the country, you have... Um, a certain admission rate ultimately to get asylum. And there's two things that have happened that are just have broken the system. One is, you know, we had the asylum um, because of our policies, we had the asylum court process down to 18 months. It had been three years when we inherited it in, um, in the department of justice, as you know, or maybe your listeners know uh, runs the, the immigration courts. And so the asylum process, we had it down to 18 months from three years when we, when we took over from the Obama administration, it's now back up to six years, which means nobody's asylum here, uh, claim is being heard. They're allowed to enter our country. Uh, they are eligible for, uh, I think up to and including a green card. And so for six years, these people can live and work in the United States. And if they show up for their hearing, um, then they are probably going to lose it because depending on the country, for example, Mexicans uh, have very few asylum claims granted. You know, there are other South American countries where obviously there's more political persecution uh, and qualify for, you know, asylum. And so, I mean, the system is just not built to, you know, have everybody, including customs agents and, 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 and uh, you know, helping people uh, f- file what ends up mostly being bogus asylum claims. And so, you know, obviously our remain in Mexico policy was much more effective. Yeah. 
uh, than this policy that is currently being uh, administered. And, you know, uh, ultimately, I hope, you know, I, I, ho- I fear the people that have entered our country, you know, if we've, if we've encountered a hundred, let's say, you know, people that are on the uh, watch list, terrorism watch list, you know, how many have come in that we didn't encounter? Uh, and then what, you know, what's going to be the consequence of, of all these people coming to our country? Certainly they're not all just hardworking um, potential immigrants. And so I just, as I'm sure your listeners know, this system is wildly broken. Um, the, the Biden administration has made it worse um, and encouraged people to come to our country. And, you know, they're being exploited by cartels and the cartels are, you know, becoming wealthier and wealthier. And it's, it's, uh, it's one of the most frustrating things um, that I've ever seen in, uh, you know, a government participate in. You know, other countries have uh, borders that are secured, uh, that are, you know, they have systems that uh, provide for immigration that serve the national interest. And, you know, we just, again, the left is just not serious about this at all. No, and they just, uh, you know, they pretend it doesn't exist. It would be interesting to see if they do do some of those congressional oversight uh, hearings down there at the border. I no. think, you know, part of it is a virtue single, but but part of it actually puts a human aspect on it. One of the things we always like to point out on the show, obviously, all the time is that, you know, the cost of life, there's two sides to every coin, you know, over the course of the last three three and a half years since right before the start of the pandemic, the line of duty deaths due to exposures to just things that are common in the third world. In addition to that, suicides among border agents and officers, you know, uh, administrative personnel and management have skyrocketed more in the last three, three and a half years than the 10 years prior. And and that's one of the, you know, real costs, the things that people just have a hard time talking about, but it's, 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 it's really something that's unfortunate to see. And, uh, you know, something that we really need to uh, direct a lot of focus on. Matt, last thing I wanted to touch with you on, and I, and I think it's important, you know, we, we already talked about the appointment of the special counsel with, uh, uh, Merrick Garland on president Trump, but you know, the Biden administration is also targeting Elon Musk for everything that's going on at Twitter. Uh, we think it's kind of funny that he's, you know, reviving the accounts of meme makers that used to frustrate the left and the Biden want, administration wants to open up like Department of Justice no. <laughs> inquiries into it. But we do have things that are like really important and, and, and really affected the outcome of things, every, you know, from normal people's money all the way up to literally both sides of the midterm elections. And that's the whole FTS FTX scandal that has kind of been yeah. brushed under the rug and, you know, swept out of the news circuit. The, a lot of the mainstream media still considers this guy who, you know, stole billions of dollars, a darling, and, uh, you know, he's getting to be able to talk at uh, New York Times speakership events and stuff like that. And sit, sit, as the former acting attorney general of the United States, when you see stuff like that, I mean, obviously the red flags and alarms have to go off, but just to see the way that they'll make it a deal to go after someone like Elon Musk or Donald Trump for literally nothing. And then let like these little real crimes that involve billions and billions of dollars just to kind of drift off into the wind. Yeah. Well, first of all, on the Elon Musk thing, I think what he's done with Twitter has been amazing. Um, Like just from a, how much ownership makes a difference and how, um, you know, kind of a left leaning left oriented uh, executive team can um, dramatically, you know, uh, hurt free speech. And I think what Elon's doing, I don't view him as a uh, one of us. I don't think he's, you know, very Trumpy. Uh, I think he's just a guy that believes that, you know, uh, free speech is uh, the the 
cornerstone of our society and, yeah. our, and our country. And if, if, you know, if, if these platforms can suppress free speech, uh, then, you know, we're, we're heading towards tyranny. I think the, I think the FTX situation, um, is very complicated. You know, we have, um, as a country been unwilling or unable to, to regulate, uh, cryptocurrencies, um, and, um, and their, uh, what would you call it? Um, derivatives, uh, you know, futures, options, that kind of stuff. And so, uh, that causes groups like FTX to move offshore into countries that, you know, don't have regulatory schemes, or if they do, they're easily influenced by politicians. And so, um, I think this is what, you know, if you want to, again, I, I don't want government too involved, but obviously, um, regulatory, um, I think the, the legit people, like for example, Coinbase is one that comes to mind, um, uh, that's involved in crypto, you know, they, they avail themselves to us law mm-hmm. and they are regulated, uh, as much as possible by federal regulators. I just think we've had a, especially in the cryptocurrency world, um, there has just not, I just don't think the policymakers understand it enough to regulate it. And therefore it's, it's become a little bit of the wild west and, you know, people have been dramatically harmed by that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think uh, we've kind of been light in treading on, on the way we covered on our show because we know it's a developing story. We saw like overall dollar amounts, where some of the money is gone, how much of the money now doesn't exist anymore, where, you know, some of the investments went, but we know there's going to be an eventual lid that gets blown off this. And that's kind of where we're waiting, but we do like to start unpacking it for our listenership as we do a lot of stuff when we have you on the show, Matt, which is why we're so thankful that you take time out of your busy schedule, which is pretty busy to jump on steak for breakfast with us. We want to direct all of our listenership to be able to follow you on social medias if they're not already. Obviously, Whitaker TV and, and Liberty and Justice as well. We're going to live link everything in the show description today. But what's your handles? Uh, almost everything. In fact, everything I'm doing, Facebook, Instagram, Truth, Twitter, is at Matt Whitaker 46 We love it. And uh, we love when you come on the show with the, uh, us to, to spend a little time and, and, and to just have a great discussion. We'll be looking to have you back after the first of the year. We'll wish you an Happy holidays early here on Steak for Breakfast, right. Matt, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time. This is the former acting U.S. Attorney General, the current host of Liberty and Justice podcast on Whitaker.tv. Matt Whitaker, thanks for coming back on the show. All right. Thank you all. Good chat with you. President Trump was wrong uh, uh, to give uh, a white nationalist, uh, uh, an anti-Semite, and a Holocaust denier a seat at the table. And uh, I think he should apologize for it. Uh, and he should denounce those individuals uh, uh, and their hateful rhetoric without qualification. With that being said, as I point out in the book as well, I, I, I don't believe Donald Trump is an anti-Semite. I don't believe he's a racist or a bigot. I, I would not have been his vice president if he was. And uh, you know, people often forget the, the president's daughter converted to Judaism. Yep. His son-in-law is a devout Jew. Um, his grandchildren are Jewish. And so I, you know, the broad brush of attack that media leveled at him, but uh, I, I think the president demonstrated uh, profoundly poor judgment uh, in, in giving those individuals a seat at the table. And as I said, I think he should apologize for it. He should denounce them without qualification. Well, we can't escape Dinnergate, mm. as we've tabbed it on steak for breakfast. Dinnergate.
And you could tell there the uh, former vice president, our favorite Judas, Mike Pence, hawking his book, talking about his time serving in the uh, Trump White House. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, we, we found out after yesterday, we'll get to that in just a little bit, that Donald Trump did not know about the dinner guests guests who were coming along with Kanye West last Tuesday when they met up down at Mar-a-Lago? Yeah, when somebody shows up with an entourage and it's Kanye West, you're just like, all right, I, I guess. Let's do this. Hmm. And then what are you going to do? Like, somebody whispers in your ear like, hey, that's that fucking kook from Anti-Semitism Monthly. <laughs> that you could literally Twitter search his name, comma, capital N word and find montage mm. after montage of him slipping on his garbage show saying stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of the narrative where it's at. We're going to be able to unpack a whole lot more of this for you. We'll get to that in a bit towards the mid part of this segment, but let's jump into the white house's response. Of course, they've had paid actors in the white house press pool throughout the duration of the Biden regime. One of them was of course called on by KGP yesterday and asked about the fallout from Dinnergate. Let's hear her response speaking on behalf of Joe Biden. No, uh, former President Donald Trump uh, had a dinner with Kanye West and Nick Fuentes, a known white nationalist. Mm. Does the, is the White House concerned that a uh, former president, and more importantly, a current candidate for president, is uh, meeting with someone who is known to foster racist and anti-Semitic views? So, look, I'm, I'm not going to respond to everything that happens with the former president, but this, this is something that's important that uh, we speak is. very clear about and we speak very, um, very forcefully about. Uh, this administration, this president totally rejects uh, uh, bigotry, racism, anti-Semitism, uh, and there is just no place uh, for these types of vile forces in our society, and this is something that we are going to continue to deny, including Holocaust denial. And let's not forget, when you say things like this, when you um, when when you do not speak out against uh, these type of poisonous and dangerous uh, kind of remarks or uh, a representation, if you will, uh, that is uh, that is also uh, in incredibly dangerous within itself. And so we need to uh, we should all be condemning this, and we should be very clear. Uh, very clear uh, and say it in, in really absolute uh, clear terms. And again, this is something that we condemn and we will continue to speak out against. Uh, this is something we can use to our benefit. So we are right. going to come out forcefully and force, <laughs> force it down your throat for the next uh, couple of years. Well, he's already condemned it. God knows how many times. I don't like, didn't he say he had no idea who Nick Fuentes was? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it doesn't matter how many times he condemns it. He's literally come out and categorically just been like, you know what? Right. I, I, the KKK is completely disavowed, blah, 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 all this stuff. It doesn't matter to these people because yeah. they're just going to keep running with it. Obviously. It's just, you know, sometimes it's just still wild to see them just carry on with the same. Well, this whole thing was orchestrated. There's no fucking way that it wasn't just like, hey, you know, it'd be a good idea. Yeah, I know. Right. Hey Kanye, you want you want some extra money? Like, please. I mean, not who knows. You never know, honestly. Yeah, the spider web that goes, you know, Kanye, Fuentes, Milo Yiannopoulos, Rebecca Mercer, MTG, everybody involved. 
it, it's it's the connection between everybody is it's it's pretty much out there like i said we're going to be able to unpack this a little bit more on our friday edition of the show we'll get to that in just a sec uh kanye west and said entourage showed up at tim pool's podcast studio last night they Virtue singled all over social media, taking pictures on a private jet, looking like they're in deep thought, reading the Bible, and then... I saw that. I, I laughed out loud. Yeah, ro- roll right into Tim Pool's studio to talk about, you know, how Jewish people are the problem of everything in the world, which mm. is, you know, a continuation of Nick Fuentes' garbage narrative, in which leads to the entirety of him as a person. Now, let's remember how many times he's scumbagged some of our favorite Congress people like Matt Gates, MTG, Dr. Gosar into going to his events where they go and talk about America first platforms. And then he'll take the stage and talk about how the Holocaust never happened. So, you know, it's things like that, that just give us a bad name and a black eye. And- Can you imagine sitting off stage and being like, you just finished speaking. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, what, what the fuck did that guy just say? Yeah. No. Oh, this is this is not good. Not good at all. And uh, I mean, they usually they'll cycle in and out of the news cycle. You know, it didn't hurt any of their re-election campaigns and this, that, and the other thing. But it's the continuing proxy relationships between the players behind the scenes, et cetera, that kind of you know continue to just run our not our name because we don't associate ourselves with garbage like that. I mean, even Kanye West, who I think is a brilliant musician, has has just turned out to you know put his m- mental health issues on display for all the world to see and instead of dealing with it continues to uh you know even though he doesn't drink and do drugs apparently anymore run around with people who are making it seem like he does and uh you know last night that kind of spilled over onto the podcast circuit on tim pool's show um let's hear the the clip which everyone's talking about the one where kanye west eventually walks out they tried to lock me up that's what because every time i'm just holding stride and it's like I didn't. I thought I was more Malcolm X, but I find out I'm more MLK because as I'm getting hosed down every day by the press and financially, I'm just standing there. And when when I found out that they tried to put me in jail, it was like a dog was biting my arm, and I I I, I almost shed a tear, almost. But I still walked in stride through it. Yeah. I, I think I think they've been extremely unfair to you. I think. Who was they though? Mm. We can't say who they is, can we? I'm not using the, I don't don't use the word as the the way I guess you you guys use, I'm I'm talking about. It is them though, isn't it? I mean, because, (laughs) because when you think about it, consider it. In 2018. What do you mean it's not? What what do I mean? Like, uh, uh, okay, so how about, are you leaving? Are you afraid of the press? He's gone. I'll say it right now. Um, You guys, you guys want to bring that stuff up? And then have think the we're not going to have a conversation. Like, have the discussion. Like you, you think Ye is going to come in here and say, here's my pain, here's my suffering, I'm going to say, I hear you. And then he's going to say, and it was Jewish people, and I'm going to be like, okay, but don't you consider it. So I'm not going to do this. I, I, I refuse. Go, uh, make sure he's cool. All right, go for it. Mm. Yeah. As soon as they I'm, get segue. I'm mixed about it. You know, I think that. Wait, so why did he walk out? Because, because when, you know, I, it was gaslighting, in my opinion. It was gaslighting. He knows, they know who he's talking about. And it doesn't, he, he's not, in my my view, he's not talking about every single Jewish person, you know. But I think that after the Fridman, like, you know, podcast thing, I think he's just, he's at his wits end. Yes, he's got issues and who doesn't, you know, he's going crazy. People, you know, I mean, look at some of the biggest people in the world, most powerful people in the world are attacking him. And he was just trying to tell his story. I just wish they would let him talk, you know, a little more. Cause I, Tim, Tim has a, he's always cutting people off. He's always trying to, you know, I just feel like he talks too much. Sometimes he should have just let him speak. And I just, 
thought it was a really bad idea that Milo and Nick were there at all in the first place. I think if he was alone, it would have been much better, and I don't think he would have walked out. Yeah, because Tim Pool is more worried about getting kicked off YouTube and his NewsGuard rating than he is about letting people finish their narrative. The only fact of the matter that I'll disagree with you on, Antoinette, and it's it's not really a disagreement, it's just a not meeting in the middle about it, was when, like you said, you have Milo and Nick Fuentes chirping in, asking, who's they? Say they, Tim. Tell them who they is. And, I... and you know, him saying that he's not going to use that kind of language in the same sense and, and terminology that they do, which is, you know, well, basically. Right, of course. No, totally. <clears throat> I totally, I agree with you there. And I get where Tim is coming from in that sense. I just think that the type of person that Kanye is, he just needs to let, like people need to let him talk because he's, he gets in that stream of consciousness and then in that zone and just wants to spit it all out, you know? And I, I don't know. I think it was just bad all around. Both sides could have done better. Kanye shouldn't have walked out. He should have stayed. Um, Nick and Milo should not have been there at all. That's like, I don't know. That was bad. No, it certainly was. And like I said, if Kanye West wants to go out and tell his story, that entourage is not the one he needs to, number one, be traveling with and pumping up his head with narratives to say, and number two, trying to interject every time a guest brings somebody on to uh, – you know, try try to get to the bottom of what's really, you know, bothering him and some of the stuff that has, has happened to Kanye West. So it's it's sad to see overall. Yeah. What's even sadder to see is how some of our elected officials are obviously, you know, working behind the scenes to propagate it up and, and keep it in the news cycle even more. While we, yeah. while we aren't worrying about things like gas prices and inflation, how much money we're sending to Ukraine and the disaster on the southern border, in addition to, you know, more domestic items like the election that got certified in Maricopa County over the weekend. We had uh, Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell meet with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi at the Oval Office today with Joe Biden to have closed doors to discussions that wasn't open to the press however you won't be surprised what mitch mcconnell wanted to talk about when he came out of the meeting to give a statement about it let's hear turtle mitch first let me just say that there is no room in the republican party for anti-semitism or white supremacy and anyone meeting with people advocating that point of view in my judgment, are highly unlikely to ever be elected president of the United States. And there it is. Mm. Yeah. We're going to get to the bottom of what's really going on between uh, the whole narrative surrounding Dinnergate on Friday when America's most banned news commentator Laura Luma, former congressional candidate for two different districts in Florida, will be joining us. She's actually one of the only people who I've been connected with that knows everybody from President Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Rebecca Mercer, Milo, Fuentes, Kanye. So we'd like to have our experts weigh in while we can only make commentary on it. However, we are sounding the alarm that, you know, your elected officials are now corroborating with the Biden administration to push this narrative. And I do want to remind everybody, like I did literally minutes ago, that, you know, elected officials like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, and Dr. Gosar have all spoke at Nick Fuentes sponsored events in the past. Um, and obviously they were scumbagged into doing it and got scumbagged for what happened at those events. But the fact of the matter is that it happened. And, and because we continue to let this stuff not happen because Donald Trump has a more corporate inner inner circle around him right now and no acting real chief of staff yet for his presidential campaign, we're continuing to see stuff like this happen on a more frequent basis. 
Um, and I hate the fact that we can't go a week without an absolute, you know, shit storm blowing into town uh, to try and take away from the real message, which is obviously saving the country on every philosophical level mm-hmm. known to man. Speaking of which, um, you know, the, the fight and pushback against Elon Musk uh, since his acquisition and rebranding of Twitter uh, has really caught the legacy media, obviously the currently, you know, sitting government in, in up on Capitol Hill, which is Democrat top to bottom, the weaponized Justice Department, etc., to just absolutely melt down. And, uh, you know, things to try and... I really do feel like they've gotten in over their heads because here's the fact of the matter. Elon now has all the receipts. He's teasing what's going to get released while slow bleeding others, bringing back accounts and pointing out why and how they were removed from the platform for no reason other than people disagree with their commentary and they never violated terms of service. Um, I think that's one of the big ones. You know, in addition to seeing all the stuff that's going to come out, which is going to be inner office correspondences, correspondences between Twitter and the people who used to run that company and big tech, probably, you know, big media and the CCP in addition to government officials, um, et cetera. So everybody's just kind of shitting their pants right now. Up to 62,000 accounts are going to be returning to the platform this week that were banned for no reason other than because people didn't like them, in addition to all the ones that are already back. Um, I did see over the weekend on MSDNC, one of their resident retards, Katie Fang, had on the Anti-Defamation League leader and uh, Obama bro, Jonathan Greenblatt, on to talk about how Elon Musk owning Twitter is now probably out of all. We've moved on past Russia and and put Elon Musk as now more critical than Putin to, uh, you know, destroying all things that are uh, democracy related. Let's hear this one. The ADL, our Center for Technology and Society, works actively with all the kind of companies of Silicon Valley, from Apple to Zoom, if you will, from Amazon to Microsoft to Meta and indeed to Twitter. We've dealt with them for years, helping them tackle the challenges of hate speech on their service. We point things out. We share information. But what we've said again and again and again, and I've had the privilege of speaking directly to Elon a few times, the reason why we are so concerned is because we think Twitter is such a consequential service. And again, allowing people who created the toxicity on the platform that led to real-world violence. Keep in mind that the conspiracy theories that dominated on Twitter for so long exploded in places like Pittsburgh, Poway, El Paso, and of course, ultimately in Washington, D.C. on January the 6th. So what I would say very clearly is that to you, as I've told Elon Musk, as I've told to others, we need these companies to engage constructively, smartly use their innovation to tackle hate speech. I see that chart you put up. That contradicts what we're seeing at ADL. We've seen anti-Semitic speech stay up there longer than ever before. We've been, you know, indicating when we've seen toxic content, it's not coming down nearly as quickly as in the past. And considering that the human resources have been massively depleted at the company, that would seem to figure and loom large as to why it's happening today. Look, at the end of the day, Katie, ADL, and I think so many of us want Twitter to work for all of its users, for journalists like yourself, 
for watchdogs like my organization, for the whole country. But tackling hate speech needs to be all of our commitment because freedom of speech isn't the freedom to slander people, Katie, right? Freedom of expression shouldn't be the freedom to incite violence. That shouldn't be okay no matter who's running the company. So uh, everybody slandering Donald Trump online right now, that's okay though? Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's the stuff that's going on, you know, that we're seeing right now more commonly with... uh, the radical left as, as we're seeing, you know, Elon Musk gain more of a hold and, and come up with producing more information and restoring accounts uh, on the platform because that's what he said he was going to do. Um, and, and we're just not seeing, uh, you know, the type of reasonable response that you would think. We're, we're seeing just more of, of complete meltdowns and, and you know, I don't know how you can't see it, but we'll give you another example. A World Economic Forum aligned press reporter with Reuters, who now sits in the front row of the White House press pool, perfect, was able to ask this completely staged question to KGP yesterday uh, regarding the Biden administration's narrative on Elon Musk and Twitter. Try not to laugh too hard. Concerned about the, you know, Elon Musk says there's more and more uh, subscribers coming online. Are you concerned about that? And what tools do you have? Who is it at the White House that is really keeping track of this? So, look, this is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. Mm. And uh, look, um, we, you know, we have always been very clear. Um, and that uh, when it comes to social media platforms, it is their responsibility uh, to make sure that um, when it comes to misinformation, when we when we comes to the hate that we're seeing, uh, that they they take action, that they continue uh, to take action. Again, we're all keeping a close eye on this. We're all uh, uh, monitoring uh, what's what's currently uh, occurring, and uh, we see you know we see it with our own eyes of of what you all are reporting and just. For, for ourselves, what's happening on, on Twitter. Uh, but again, social media companies have a responsibility to prevent their platforms uh, from being used by any user uh, to incite violence, especially violence uh, directed at individual community. I'm still trying to figure out what violence has been incited since Elon Musk took over I Twitter. Know, I, I don't get it. They keep saying people are going to die. And I'm like, well, it's, 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 what in the world are they talking about? Like, what planet are these people living on? Who's going to die? My hurt Unbelievable. feelings identify as violence. Unbelievable. It's like completely delusional. Mm-hmm. You let her off pretty easy there, Noah. Yeah, it's, uh, no. I think the button's broken. <laughs> Tucker Carlson weighed in last night on this narrative and what he's seen from not only people like, uh, you know, Greenblatt and, and, Karine Jean-Pierre, but throughout the, you know, meltdowns that we see across Twitter, like, I'm leaving the platform, and I came back on Twitter just for five minutes just to block Donald Trump, and now I'm going to forget about it again. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, there you go. Let's hear the tucked one uh, weigh in on all things Musk-related. 
As in China, social media in the United States are censored. That's not compatible with democracy. You can't have censorship in a democracy. A country that censors is not a democracy. Elon Musk, who's not from this country, knows that. He bought Twitter with the aim of <laughs> stopping censorship and restoring free speech. He just said this. There's been a lot of censorship on Twitter, and we're going to find out what it is. Quote, the Twitter files on free speech suppression soon to be published on Twitter itself. Oof. The public deserves to know what really happened. End quote. So why shouldn't we know that? Why shouldn't we know who is shutting down free speech in a country that claims to be a democracy? Well, everybody in power is panicked over this. Apple is threatening to remove Twitter from its app store. So if Twitter no longer can get its app on the app store, there's no more Twitter because you access Twitter through the app. So they're essentially threatening to shut down Twitter. Meanwhile, the White House and the media are trying to convince you that the problem is not China throwing people in concentration camps, suppressing free speech. The problem is Elon Musk, who is trying to restore free speech. He's the evil one. Watch. It's amazing to watch someone like Elon Musk, who is such a, um, he's such a child. You know, he's so immature, he needs attention all the time. And these hmm. guys with these money and this detention and these daddy issues. I'd say this libertarian nonsense is, is destructive to American national security. And he has got to reinstitute the same restrictions that oh. were on Twitter before he bought it. When it comes to social media platforms, it is their responsibility uh, to make sure that um, when it comes to misinformation, when we when it comes to the hate that we're seeing, uh, that they, they take action. There's something very dangerous about it. I mean, it reminds me of a Bond villain. As I said, when the richest guy in the world Seriously. buys a social media platform, it's just not a good equation. Uh, I think he's a dangerous fellow. And that sort of uh, speaks to how he's been governing over at Twitter. Not much transparency into what's going on, just really him. Uh, ruling by tweets. So you could deconstruct every single one of those statements. Here's the CIA officer, the guy who lied for a living, telling you we need more censorship. But they're not actually coming out against, quote, hate. What they're saying is, we decide what you can say and what you can in this democracy. Mm -hmm. And if you try to speak freely, we'll crush you. It's exactly what they're saying. And that's exactly what they're threatening against Elon Musk. <laughs> Go ahead, Anton. No, no, I was just saying, and they're just basically showing the world and like who they really are and exposing themselves. You know, it's hilarious though. And if Elon Musk's politics were even slightly different, they would be championing him as a, as a 100%. beacon of hope for the internet. hundred percent. My favorite was when the guy said, we need to go back to the original restrictions yeah. that were on Twitter before Elon <laughs> Musk bought the platform. I was I like, can't believe it. wait, what? And they call us fascists. Yeah. Well, I, I talked about at the top of the segment that meeting that went down today between, uh, you know, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer and Republican leadership, Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy at the White House. Uh, we, we got two different narratives when the meeting was ended. Obviously, we heard China Mitch's and his uh, man. I can't wait for the truth to come out in response to that. Uh, you know, the husband of Coco Chow, as Donald Trump puts it, is, is probably going to be getting nuked pretty hard on, on true social later. But, you know, Representative McCarthy came out of the White House and delivered a statement on what Joe Biden and his regime's narrative has been regarding Elon Musk and Twitter. Let's hear Kevin McCarthy give his take on it and probably House Republicans moving forward. Keeping an eye on Twitter under Elon Musk's ownership and leadership. That is offensive to me. 
government's going to go after someone that wants to have free speech, what do they have to look at Twitter about? Do they want to go more after American public about whether they can have an opinion on something? I think the American public have spoken on this. I think our First Amendment stands up, and I, I think they should stop picking on Elon Musk. You know, Elon Musk has succeeded in many places. I'd, I'd bet on him more than government going after you. And I, one thing I would say when we talk about accountability, we'll no longer let government go after people simply because of their political views. Don't hate it. And I tell you what, they're going to keep poking the bear. And what's going to happen is all those internal conversations that Elon Musk is probably getting his hands on between mm -hmm. people at the Department of Defense, the Department of Justice, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Biden White House are going to start being made public as part of his transparency campaign. Yeah, or they're just going to keep threatening him with the dissolving of the app, basically, because, I mean, what, what, what happens is they block the app from the app store, and then during the next Apple update, you have to reinstall all your apps or some bullshit, like, just to totally wipe it out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they did it with the, uh, we talked about the, the airdrop. Yeah. And uh, that's just crooked as hell. Everybody's airdrop got reset if you, if you updated your phone recently because I got a notification for it um, last night. And well, there's a way around the app thing. Um, you know how Gab wasn't yeah. allowed on the app store? You, put, you, so put you, the, just, you just save the, the book. You bookmark the website, twitter.com, to your home screen, and then there you go. Yeah. And you if use the, the web-based app really on your phone. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm no expert on it, but uh, I, I know someone who dabbles in it a little bit more, so we're going to sit down for a little fireside chat with one of our absolute favorites right now. All right, joining us next on the show today, he is uh, MAGA's most interesting operative, one of our great friends, always one of our best segments and great conversations with none other than Mr. Vish Burra. Thanks for joining us back on the show today, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Always a good time out on the Steak for Breakfast podcast, uh, guys and gals. Uh, you know, I don't I don't show uh, Antoinette enough love on this show, so, uh, you know, I want, I want to hear some questions for her if she's got anything for me. <laughs> Oh, she's always got a lot to say, and she's she will be challenging you today. Then, Vish, last time we talked to you, it was uh, you know, seeing our our minute majority in the House, uh, the fallout from the midterm elections, and such. Uh, it seems like a lot of the things that you predicted over the course of the summer came to fruition at the uh, ballot box, and at the end of the day, how does it feel to uh, well be right? Well, look, uh, I think when I you know I came on in the summer, and I, I had mentioned that. Um, you know, we would be lucky to have like a, a six or seven seat majority. Um, and then I came on once after that, to, you know, um, after sort of school started and everything. And we saw a lot of momentum shift where, you know, the red wave looked real for a second. I thought we could get 20 to 30 seats. But it turns out, you know, actually my previous prediction back in the summer uh, was correct. And I think at the time I attributed a lot of that to the energy from Roe Ro v. Wade, which I think um, there's definitely evidence that that's the case. Uh, I, you know, there's a lot of numbers floating around out there about how the youth the youth vote turned out um, pretty big for for a lot of Democrats. But also, you know, there's the um, there's a you know a, a graph or some statistics floating around Twitter that that stated that you know unmarried women came out huge and single women came out huge. For Democrats, so uh, I think that you know there's there's one aspect there where culturally we're losing, you know, single women, we're losing 
young people. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed. And it's not something that could be addressed in two years, four years. I think that's a long-term sort of fix that needs to be addressed there. And it's, I think it's got to be way more cultural, you know, uh, a, um, I think I saw a recent sort of study or, or headline that said that, that Gen Z uses TikTok as their number one search engine mm-hmm. and not, and not Google. So, you know, these are the kinds of paradigm shifts in the way people interact with the information sphere and the cultural sphere that politically our movement and our party and our sort of political apparatus need to be aware of and need to take advantage of. Uh, But uh, another aspect I think that is just poor strategy. I think, uh, you know, a huge lesson learned uh, from this election is that we need to get away from the idea of winning votes and get move more towards the idea of collecting ballots. Uh, I think that, that, uh, you know, if you can guarantee the turnout from your low propensity voter in off year elections, uh, you are, you know, you, that you are way ahead of the game, uh, in terms of the votes you need to win. I mean, Katie Hobbs straight up did not even show up on TV with Carrie Lake and did not debate her. And guess what? She's still, she's still, you know, no matter how much you want to argue about it, she still pulled it out. And the fact that it was even that close, uh, when Katie Hobbs made no public effort to look, uh, to create a contrast with Carrie Lake, just kind of quote unquote ran her own campaign. Um, she still ended up, uh, pulling out, you know, what's essentially right now being read as a victory on her side. And so I think that we need to upgrade our tactics and we need to start uh, having folks create uh, systems and machines and apparatus that collect uh, that collect ballots. And, um, you know, I just want to uh, hit a point here that that, uh, you you know, for our populists and, and all of us, we're you know, the, the MAGA right, the nationalists, we're, you know, we are, we are emotionally driven uh, to be very protective and patriotic towards our nation, but we very much lack in technique and how we approach those things and how we, you know, how we actually achieve the end goal. And, and so again, I think, you know, we, you know, we got the emotion, but we need to improve our technique and this election, I think, showed us a lot of that. Yeah, and hopefully moving forward to 2024, we're making those adjustments. We see people out there at the forefront. You know, you're one of the young leaders in, in, in regards to, to calling for changes like this. There's several other pundits who do exactly the same. People like Scott Pressler is already talking about early vote and, and, and mail-in ballot harvesting and stuff like that in states where it's applicable. So, we, we I mean, you just look at the bare bones, the black and white numbers of it. Brian Kent beat Stacey Abrams in, in mail-in voting by 6,000 votes. Uh, that's something that we he might not be our favorite governor. He's definitely not a MAGA Republican, but at the end of the day, he chose to take a different route to what was a successful re-election campaign for him. And, uh, you know, it, it's the ability to being uh, able to change and adapt with the times and the way, you know, the voting systems were changed right before and leading up through the pandemic to where they are now. If we're not going to be able to overwhelmingly win state houses and senates to get rid of these laws, then we have to abide within the bylaws of them and, and, and make it happen for us in future elections. What if this just 
accidentally causes election integrity because if we start doing it, they have to come out against it. And they'll stop doing it when, as soon as we are able to game this, the system with yeah. it. That's kind of the way it's always well, worked. It already happened in California, right? right. Uh, yeah. That's If you think about it, actually, the red wave did hit, but only in New York and California. Mm-hmm. Part of the California red wave is that they actually got into the game of, you know, ballot drop boxes and all this stuff, putting them at gun ranges, at churches. Um, you know, you can consider tailgates at NFL games, stuff like that. They put the ballot drop boxes there, had those, and guess, and and the I think the Secretary of State in Cal in California had sued the California GOP because they were so effective at it, right? And so this, the only way you're going to spur action you know, is to actually match them at the, at the front of the fight. And, you know, you can, you can bitch and moan all you want about how, you know, it's, it's shady, you know, I don't trust the early voting or mail-in voting or about whatever. Um, But the fact is, is that the other side is doing it and we have to, at the very least match their efforts so that maybe on election day, we take that vote, but you can't just let, you can't just let it be, the early vote plus mail-in vote plus, you know, ballot harvested vote versus only the election day vote for Republicans, right? That you can't let it be that. Otherwise you just leave too much to chance. No. And, and another thing, collecting ballots is way cheaper than hurting people to vote on one day on election day. Yeah. 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 Well, He's got to play their game right back at them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's time to get in that fight, and as uh, for as much as a lot of people don't want to or unfamiliar with it or, you know, think it's harder, it's it's definitely going to help level that playing field going into election days. Now, the good thing about winning the majority in, in the House will be, will be the oversight investigations coming out of the Judiciary Committee moving forward into the new year. There are a couple things that, uh, you know, they've already proposed, uh, investigations into the Biden crime family and then stuff to do with the Hunter Biden laptop, which we know you're an expert on and, uh, you know, have, have definitely been working behind the scenes to make sure everybody has the information they need rolling forward with those investigations. What are some of the things you're looking forward to see in in regards to that after we uh, get sworn in here on January 3rd? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I'm going to do a shameless plug. Uh, BBC has has recently, uh, BBC Sounds recently published a podcast that features an interview with me. It was kind of a overview story uh, you know, of the Hunter Biden laptop story from the beginning. It's very well done. It's called The Coming Storm, Episode 2, The Regime with Gabriel Gatehouse. Features me prominently in that podcast. I think your listenership would very much enjoy it. It's the closest to a audio movie that kind of exists about the thing. So I uh, highly recommend that. All available on Apple Podcasts and all that. Um, the uh, There was a, a subsequent piece that... Um, the same guy, Gabriel Gatehouse, he wrote um, that kind of re sort of uh, it, it was published in the Times UK, kind of just wrote out what was already kind of covered in the po- podcast, plus some. But he did that. He published that in, uh, you know, a day after, you know, basically we found uh, the Republicans found out they had the majority. The first thing they do, they come out. James Comer of the Oversight Committee, Jim Jordan of the of the Judiciary Committee, come out and say we're going to launch investigations and uh, we're going to you know basically crack open the Hunter Biden laptop and talk about and investigate the crimes that are on there. Not because we're trying to persecute Hunter Biden, but it's because we are investigating Joe Biden. And that you know that's what ultimately these investigations are about. 
And then you have the meta stories and the meta narratives um, that, uh, you know, of the of not just the story of the Hunter Biden laptop and what's on it, but then how the media reacted and the evidence that later comes out that uh, Facebook and Twitter had coordinated with the FBI in order to shut down the distribution of that story. And then later to come find out, you know, there's whistleblowers coming coming out about, uh, you know, uh, FBI agents actively burying the story. I mean, uh, you know, these are the things that the Judiciary Committee needs to absolutely look into. And so it's it's very uh, it's very good news that, you know, the again, the very first day they found out that they have the majority, they came out and said that they're going to do this, did a whole press conference. And that bodes really well. Um, the, uh, you know, the Times article uh, also, you know, just it, it was written immediately after that happened. So goes to show you that you know, even though this and CBS then came and verified it, verified it as well. Um, you know, it goes to show you, even though it's been you know almost two years uh, since, you know, this thing has been um, launched and sort of, you know, made aware to the public, it's actually now taking effect where it needs to. And so, you know, the moral of the story is never quit. If you have the truth on your side, keep pushing it and, you know, it will make a difference. Now, um, there are if if the the um, oversight committee does the proper investigation into the Hunter Biden laptop, they're going to find, um, you know, a treasure trove of ev- evidence of all sorts of, you know, pay for play, influence peddling operations, um, business, shady business deals and, and, and all the such. Uh, you know, a bunch of that has already been covered by The New York Post, uh, you know, especially in regards to um uh, his their deals in Ukraine, uh, their deals in China. But I think the huge one, the real you know rat's nest of activity that's yet to be uncovered that that needs to be more discussed and more investigated, and I think will actually be the end of the Bidens and the Biden crime family is their business dealings in Latin America, specifically Ocho Gaming. That uh, article, the, a whistleblower came forward um, fairly recently, a couple of weeks ago, I think a couple of days before the election, and went to the Daily Mail and had said that he was sitting on phone calls um, where, uh, with then sitting Vice President Joe Biden, who behaved like a board and spoke like a board member of this Latin American gaming venture called Ocho Gaming, gambling venture called Ocho Gaming, and the late Senator Harry Reid's son, he read is involved in that as well. And not to mention, I think there's another Dick Durbin operative who's who's uh, involved in that. I think that that is going to lead to a rat's nest of activity that's going to take down not just the Bidens, but all, you know, the 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 bad actors and the corrupted in especially the Democrat uh, the D.C. Democrat um, elite, and I think a lot of them you'll find are centered around, you know, the Senate Foreign Re- Relations Committee and all these old guys, these Dem- Democrat elites, you know, in the Senate. So I think that that is um, this, you know, all this is going to come out. I think it's going to create huge issues for Biden. And I think it's kind of actually coordinated against Biden um, at this point. Um, and the Democrats, I think, might even be, you know, interested in just letting this play out and letting all this crap sort of fly against Biden. Now, 
there are there is an apparatus that's been set up. I think it's called the Congressional Integrity Project, mm-hmm. and it's basically acting like the Lincoln Project for to to just exclusively met like act like a war room to message against all these Hunter Biden laptop investigations and all that. So look out for messaging from them. Uh, they're they're basically you know funded by Democrat donors to attack this narrative. And what they're going to try to do is turn all the Hunter Biden uh, investigations and FBI investigations, they're going to try to turn them into like another Benghazi. They're going to say, oh, look, the Republicans are trying to pull a Benghazi again on Hunter and Joe. That's what all this is about. There's no crimes on the Hunter Biden laptop. There's no evidence. It's not real blob. They're going to say everything else and say they're they're going to call it Benghazi, Benghazi, Benghazi. So uh, we need to sort of be aware of that and be ready to message against that, that it's not just Benghazi. We actually have hard evidence here and it's a lot more than just Hunter and Joe. Um, And so there's a lot of interesting events that are about to unfold over the next two years with this house majority. I agree with you. Do you think that this narrative that you're, uh, you know, unpacking for our listenership today is something that hurts Joe Biden so much in the fact that it affects him from running in 2024? I honestly, I absolutely think that this is definitely greenlit, but I think the whole, you know, uh, verification, first of all, the verifications and all that started earlier this year of the Hunter Biden laptop's validity by the Washington Post, by the New York Times, you know, just most recently by CBS, you know, all these mainstream corporate networks are coming out and, and validating it. And, uh, you know, that I think that, New York Magazine wrote that that huge piece. I think that um, this is definitely I, I, that the Demo- I think the Democrat left leaning establishment wouldn't just let this go the way it has if it wasn't something that they wanted. And I think that this is definitely the beginning stages of laying the the groundwork and planting the seeds of trying to uproot Biden out of the twenty four. Uh, race. And as much as the Republicans want it to happen, the Democrat, there are certain segments of the Democratic Party that also want it, right? They want to be able to move past Biden. They want to be able to go, uh, you know, into some HR queen of the woketopia type like mm. Kamala or um, uh, uh, Senator Warren or, or Pete Buttigieg, right? Um, he, they want to be able to move on to folks like this. Uh, and Biden sees himself as the only person who can beat a no longer theoretical President Trump run in 2024, right? It's actual. He already announced. So this gives the impetus for Joe Biden to announce sooner, which he may do. And I think that there's a lot of Democrats who don't want that to happen. And I think that that this these investigations are going to be used by certain parts of the Democrat and corporate media establishment to try and create pressure to get Joe Biden to say he's not going to run and, you know, probably see, you know, Kamala Harris end up as the sort of favorite. And that, you know, that's I, I think that that would be a preferable outcome to a lot of Democrats in, in the um, especially in the D.C. elite. Um, for their party. I think that that would be their preference and that, um, you know, you can you can possibly see uh, some sort of deal be made for for Biden to maybe get out Hunter to uh, get like a lighter sentence. I think I went on Matt Gates's podcast 
earlier this year, and I said I think Hunter gets pardoned after all this. Um, he thought he thought that that was an outrageous prediction. Um, I've predicted a lot of things, um, you know, th- that have come true. So I think that you know, I think that this is a, definitely a real uh, possibility, especially if the deal is, you know, okay, you can get the pardon, but Joe, you can't run again or some shady backroom deal like that. And I think that's very possible. So, um, uh, you know, I think that these are all things that not just Republicans, but there are Democrats who want to see the Hunter Biden laptop stuff um, be used to push Biden out. And, you know, to add to that, we're going to see Elon Musk drop the Twitter files, as he mentioned. And a lot of that is going to discuss, you know, the the burial um, and what was buried in the coordination efforts of, of free speech and the Hunter Biden story and everything that's going to that happened on Twitter behind the scenes during a lot of this stuff. And that's certainly going to damage Biden as well. No, it's uh you make a great case there, and I don't necessarily think your pr- prediction is too far outside the realms of reality. I, I could definitely see a Hunter Biden pardon at some point in the future. We, we've seen pardons for a lot less and, and probably for a lot more over the course of time, especially when you talk with sitting Democrat presidents like you know Clinton and Obama. And I, I wouldn't speculate that they would do anything less for someone like Hunter if uh, you know all of this stuff is really shown the light. Now, you mentioned Elon Musk there. We, we, we've seen a little bit difference in, in, in transparency and stuff. Uh, he's also teased, like you said, stuff with you know Twitter's uh, how they censored conservatives and then stuff to do with the Hunter Biden laptop coming out at some point in the near future. This has caused an amazing amount of friction uh, with, with a lot of the mega corporations and, and people in Silicon Valley, you know, namely Apple, who, who's all but threatened to, to remove the Twitter application from the, you know, Apple store. And, and, and there's kind of butting heads right now to a point to where this is becoming... Um, again, a major free speech issue. What are you looking outside in at, at someone who's who's pretty savvy in the social media world to see this going down the way it is after we've been, you know, absolutely crushed on there for the last little bit more than a half decade on, on places like Twitter? Yeah, so so uh, I, the last time I came on the show, I, I you know, we talked about, uh, I think Elon had just taken over Twitter at that time, and I said, hey, look, you know, I don't, I don't think that the guy has even done anything yet. And the hype has already come up and people are excited to you, you know, use the platform and, and see what Elon has to do. And, and, you know, I was a little apprehensive, but I said, it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Fast forward to today, Elon has literally raised the army of the dead and banned accounts. Right. And like brought back some of our, you know, most favorite uh, people on Twitter, including our president, Donald Trump, um, back onto Twitter. And so that's huge. There's still some accounts I'd love to see back like Ricky Vaughn. Um, but you know, they're, um, that, 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 uh, alone is a huge signal. He's fired, you know, supposedly over like, you know, 50, 60, 70% uh, of the company, uh, and cleaning house and Twitter seems to be running just fine. Uh, and then he's also announced, you know, he, I mean, I think Elon Musk is essentially trying to turn Twitter into WeChat or Weibo, uh, uh, like the app in China, where, you know, you can do pr- pretty much anything and everything on the app. You know, it's a the most robust messenger platform, including send payments and all sorts of other stuff. And if Elon successfully does that, um, it, you know, Twitter is going to be an integral part of you know pretty much every uh, every american's everyday life 
And I think that's his goal. And the problem now is with having a visionary like that um, sitting at the to- at the top of this very influential company, uh, you're seeing now the regime strike back, right? They're talking about investigations against uh, into Elon. Apple is now, you know, uh, is now talking about removing them, uh, removing Twitter from its app store. I mean, uh, to, uh, Elon already had tweeted that he, you know, if if Apple is going to play hardball like this, he's ready to go to war with them. Has already tweeted that he may even introduce his own phone, right? To to get to you know, independent of Apple and Google. These are all. You know, look, Elon is has, I think, in the last month has shown that he's very much committed to free speech, very much committed to the truth, very much committed to innovation, and that, you know, he will do what it takes and actually go head on with some of these most powerful interests in the world, including, you know, our, our Tim Apple over there at, at, at Apple or Tim Cook, whatever his name is, uh-huh. and, um, uh, you know, the Google guys and all that. And beautiful it's 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 an it's amazing work from elon's uh you know on the elon side i commend him Uh, i think this is a lot of great work i'd say elon has done more for conservatives in the last you know month on twitter than some of some of our favorite you know conservative heroes um over over years um and so uh you know we have to commend that applaud that support that but another thing though is we can't just let this guy do it all alone. You know, it, it, why, it, if, you know, Twitter is blown off of the app store, does Elon have to come up with the phone that, you know, sort of competes against Apple or Google? Why aren't there other folks who are coming in and filling those needs, you know, in the infra- in the information war and the, the infrastructure needed to not to wage an information war, or even just live a normal life. You know, you're talking about, um, you know, people's bank accounts getting canceled and all this stuff. Uh, you know, we need more infrastructure. We, you know, we need to be uncancelable, uncancelable, and we can't just rely on Elon to do it all. And so he needs support. He needs backup. And I would encourage all you know the smart sort of young listeners out there who are tech savvy, who are artists, who are engineers, um, who who are you know in a of any kind to start working on that there is a market and you know you would be surprised to find out how many people would be willing to support and use that especially today when we see you know uh companies like apple act like you know oppressive arms of of the regime i mean you news has just been breaking that apple uh, sent an update to uh to chinese iphones uh, basically limiting their ability to use airdrop because the Chinese, the protests going on in China, the protesters were using airdrop as a way to send, uh, you know, people information and send people data and other stuff and bypassing the great firewall of China. And Apple steps in and says, Oh, is that, is that hurting you? CCP is that messing up your plans here? Let us make it easier for you. Mm-hmm. Let's let, let let us kill this feature that we created, and and you know uh, uh, piss off the uh, the piss off the protesters and and make their lives even harder even more. And so you know we we need to be able to fight these folks. They are reckless and ruthless and and just 
um, absolutely uh, brazen in their attempt to stamp out freedom. And so Elon Musk cannot do it all by himself. He's doing great work, but he can't do it by himself. And we need more people engaged in this culture war in order for you to wage a culture war, you need culture. And Elon, you know, kind of took a big step in maybe not bringing Twitter to the right, but even bringing it to the center and making it an even playing field. But we need more. We need more stuff. We need more, 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 more. And it's never going to end. You know, we need our own phones. We need our own internet. Build your own internet. Well, you know what? You, You could technically build that if you had any intent on working on a 10 to 20 year long-term project. The problem is, you know, all our donors and our funders want to see two year returns, four year returns. They, they're all interested in the short term stuff, something they could put in their, you know, donor report and, and, you know, in their 30 page donor report, give it to like, you know, a bunch of honchos and say, Hey, I need, you know, $10 million again for another two years to do this again. We need to get out of that paradigm. We need to start planning for 10 year 20 year initiatives um, because the regime right now is looking any way they can to stamp it out before that future ever happens. And so we gotta, we gotta make sure we fight against that. Yeah. That's the big thing there. And like you said, we do need some more young, innovative people jumping on board. I just saw over the course of a weekend that one of our favorite accounts, Maze Mori put out that Elon Musk AOC video that went viral, like retweeted over a million times. Elon Musk retweeted and commented on him, asked him about what he does for work. You have Amanda Milius jumping in the comments, offering him a job at her movie studio (laughs) for, and that's the, that's the kind of brilliant young minds that we need. Maybe not all of the meme makers have the tools to help, you know, revolutionize the, the app, but at the same point everybody's small contributions can lead to big returns in the end and then we already see how the regime is pushing back on this one my my favorite thing is going to be when elon musk can finally get his hands on if he doesn't have them already a lot of those internal conversations and correspondences between some of the you know silicon valley and big tech big wigs like the tim cooks like the google execs like contacts at the ccp and how they manipulated jack dorsey and and people like that over at twitter to you know kind of meet their needs and not the needs of American people while, you know, trampling all over the first amendment and, and censoring people for absolutely no reason. Vish, as always, you, you, you never disappoint when you come on the show. You're always one of our favorite guests and, and are always welcome on Steak for Breakfast. For everyone that's not following you on social medias, I'm going to live link that Gabriel Gatehouse podcast in addition to your, your appearance here today in our show description. But where can we find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at Vishbura, V-I-S-H-B-U-R-R-A. Find me at on Getter at Vishbura. Find me on Truth Social at Vish, V-I-S-H. Uh, love you guys. Keep up the great work. Uh, Antonetta, I would, I would hope that you uh, have some questions for me next time. You, you're always the quiet one in the corner. Come on, <laughs> we, need some, we, need some, we need some energy from you. I'll get involved next time. I promise. I promise. But you have so many great things to say. I did not want to interject and cut you off. Oh, no. Actually, sometimes you just got to tell me to shut up. Never. No way. (laughs) Listen, we won't vish, 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 vish you on steak for breakfast because every time you come in here. But you did hit the apparatus bell three times. Boom. We love it. This is MAGA's most interesting operative, one of our favorite guests. Vish Burr, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, guys on the report. We're very close to that now. Uh, we're close to the putting down the pen and going to print. Um, and I think the report is going to set out uh, in a, uh, I hope, very comprehensive way 
what took place, what led to that attack, uh, um, and, and all the circumstances around that. Mm. Uh, we're also going to be releasing the evidence, uh, which may be the most important thing. Uh, the voluminous transcripts, the documents and emails. Uh, we want to make sure that that's put before the American people. We certainly don't want uh, the Jim Jordans of the world to uh, cherry pick anything not disclosed and make a false or misleading narrative out of it. So the, the country's going to have the evidence. Uh, they're going to have our report. Uh, and I'm enormously proud of what we've done and, and know I'll be proud of the final result. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Jim Jordan has already said That's that he is Garrison. going to. Mm. Uh, he will be the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. He is likely. He is going to go through the evidence you left out. You're saying that there won't be evidence that will not be made public. The evidence will all be made pro public. Now, we'll have to make sure that uh, we scrub that evidence for personally identifiable information, scrub. that the evidence that we provide oh. uh, protects people's uh, uh, security, uh, doesn't put them at risk. Uh, so there like are Garrison. things that we're going to have to do along those lines. Uh, uh, but, but yes, we want to put the evidence before the American people, which uh, sure supports the hearings that we've done, oh, uh, as hearing. well as the report that we'll put out and will be and a comprehensive report. picture. Mm. A few weeks after January. So they, they actually asked him right after that, um, how do you plan to respond if you are congressionally subpoenaed uh, for investigative committees into the January 6th uh, committee or, you know, anything in regards to covering up the narrative? And he said, literally, I'd have to determine the validity of the subpoena and see if. Wow. So while people like Steve Bannon gets sentenced to jail and Peter Navarro gets hooked up by the feds at the airport, Adam Schiff is going to have to wow. determine. on Yeah. Uh, ignoring congressional subpoenas is about to be what the cool kids do again after mm -hmm. January. So, and, and they're going to have the protection of the white house and the Democrat neutral Senate to uh, deflect from any real consequences. I could only, you know, make the assumption a la Eric Holder um, who was held in contempt of Congress and then avoided it for three years before serving no consequences. Um, which is just absolutely fucking despicable because ever since Donald Trump was inaugurated yeah. and, and up through the now two years that he's been out of office, they've done nothing except make his life and everyone associated with him, especially his closest family members, his children, uh, and their lives miserable. And that's where we're at with that. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, one of those things that we're going to have to keep an eye on for the absolute hypocrisies. Hopefully they turn into campaign uh, talking points moving forward. I did see Texas uh, House Rep Ronnie Jackson was on Fox News over the weekend, and, and he was talking about, you know, things related to the border because obviously Texas is, is is going through it right now in regards to this Joe Biden initiated and Alejandro Mayorkas directed crisis down there. And, uh, you know, w what exactly possible investigations and consequences could be for those guys? Let's uh, Let's check out Donald Trump's former personal physician. The disaster of Mayorkas and Kevin McCarthy has said, listen, we're going to we're going to ask him to resign or we're going to impeach him. He's not going to resign. So is the House going to impeach Mayorkas? Hope so. Absolutely. We're going to start the process. Uh, he has to go. I mean, there's been no accountability, accountability, Sean, in this in, in the administration for anything that they've done, whether it's been the economy or COVID or the disaster overseas in Afghanistan or our border. Mayorkas has got to go. So we're going to start the process of investigating him. We're going to investigate every decision he's made. We're going to use the power of subpoena. We're going to use the power of the purse. And we're going to come after Mayorkas. And he needs to go. We need to make an example of Mayorkas. And he'll be just the start of what we do in this, in this new Congress. 
Congress, but he's absolutely got to go. He's been a complete, absolute disaster, and he has been the lead on making this happen, the, the border uh, being the disaster that it is. It's, let's make no mistake about it. This could not be happening without Biden. Biden and Mayorkas, they are the traffickers in chief right now, because mm. we could not, this could not happen. The cartels, half of the logistics that take place, take place after they get here. The, the cartels come down and they get these people, the coyotes, they, they, make, they move them up through Mexico or wherever they're coming from, from 130 different countries now. They get them to our southern border, and then we take over the logistics. We give them plane tickets, train tickets, bus tickets. We give them cell phones. We give them welfare, schools, health care. We're creating unbelievable incentives for these people to come here, and they are doing it purposefully. And so he has got to go. He is damaging and destroying this country in a variety of ways, and we'll talk about that in a minute, I'm sure, but with the terrorist threat that's coming across our border, with the drugs, the massive amount of fentanyl, the, 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 uh, the hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people that are dying every year because of fentanyl overdose in this country, all hang that around Biden and Mayorkas around their neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The guy, the, guy is, the guy is an absolute disgrace to the position. I know. To the agency. It's unbelievable, really. I kind of like the way they say fentanyl down in Texas. Fentanyl. Fentanyl. <laughs> I saw also yesterday House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy jumped on Sean Spicer's show uh, to talk about things related to this and uh, hopefully unifying House Republicans ahead of the January 3rd. Speaker election and leadership elections will have to see moving forward just exactly what that looks like. But let's hear a quick clip from him, uh, you know, who's trying to get everybody on board and on the same page ahead of these inquiries and investigations. You have to listen to everybody in the conference because five people on any side can stop anything when you're in the majority. I think when you look at the past history, when when uh, Paul Ryan ran, he had more people vote against him in the conference and then they voted for him on the floor. We got five more weeks. We're working through our conference rules today. We want to make sure that everybody has input, but we have to speak as one voice. We will only be successful if we work together or we'll lose individually. This is very fragile that we're the only stopgap for this Biden administration. And if we don't do this right, the Democrats can take the majority. If we play games on the floor, the Democrats can end up picking who the speaker is. So I think at the end of the day, calmer heads will prevail. We'll work together to find the best path forward. And uh, I believe at the end of the day, since I've been leader, all we've done is been able to gain uh, seats. We have not lost seats. We've won seats each and every time where the rest of Republicans have lost. So I think at the end of the day, we'll find the right path and we'll make the American public proud of what we're able to accomplish and turn this economy back around because we're going to focus on the people, not on politics. The people. I've had too many people closely associated to the situation tell me that he's going to be speaker to not think that he's going to be speaker. Mm. I mean, it it, it it takes a village. We've heard that before. A village. What difference does it make? What difference does it make now? When he's talking about the rules, what we need is the knife that's at his Wait, back. the rules for the year. The rules for me. The rules for the 118th Congress and Ooh. the Republican House. So I, I guess that would be for thee. Um, you know, the the figurative knife that's at his back by some House Republicans, the Jordans, the Comers, the House Freedom Caucus, people that we all love and, and cherish so much here on Steak for Breakfast, they need to give it a little twist and make sure some of the things that they want to see, not just investigationally, 
but um, parts of the bylaws for the 118th Congress need to be in there. And if Kevin McCarthy doesn't like them, they need to figure out a way to get him to at least consider having them as part of the platform moving forward or we're not going to be successful. That is one of the only truths that he continues to repeatedly talk about. And, uh, you know, the, the biggest part about it is that being House Speaker is only a small component to the job that's ahead of this Republican Congress. There is a lot of stuff outside of the investigative community that we need to work on to make the American public really feel like we're finally working for them. And uh, there's a lot of people who are, you know, hurt after these midterm elections and, and want reassurance that moving forward, the Republicans are going to be innovative and comprehensive enough to lead and govern in a way that they feel like they can more easily elect them to office moving forward. And, and I think that's a huge thing that, uh, you know, they all need to be taken into consideration if they're not. It's not just a power grab. It's 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 kind of just a lot more than that. And, and, and hopefully in the next four weeks they can work it out as we're getting ready to head into December right now. Um, and, and look at things related to leadership moving forward. Kind of segue in, but staying in the same thread. We'll continue to talk about leadership here. I know we touched on it a bit on our Friday edition of the show. Antoinette, I know you probably saw it or at least heard us chatting about it, but it's the uh, challenges and non-challenges so far for the GOP chair. Yeah, and and we're, where we're kind of sitting there, we have not seen uh, former New York gubernatorial candidate and current U.S. House Representative Lee Zeldin announced his candidacy to challenge for the GOP chair yet, even though we all think he'd, number one, be best for the job. Number two, really need to do it because we like him a lot and want him to do it. Yeah, for sure. Well, didn't Mike Lindell announce something? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit. Uh, I'm like, I saw that last night before I went to bed. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> referred to some as the armor-piercing shell and our favorite pillow man. Oh, segue real quick for our listenerships. I don't know if you guys missed it on Twitter this week. Huh? We're dinging for the armor-piercing shell now, too? Oh, come on. <laughs> we won't say it that much. But the fact of the matter is is that, did you see someone literally asked us about the bell? <laughs> Raheem Kassam asked us about the bell on Twitter the other day, and he's like, yeah, I, I hear it all the time, and I just never understood what it was. And then Ann Ludi, who we love, she, she cuts up all the videos of not only when he comes on Steak for Breakfast in audio form with a cool graphic and all that other stuff that makes, you know, the the – the actual video components with the audio when he goes on podcasts that support, uh, you know, that platform. And, and you know, me and her have talked about it. The last time he was on, <laughs> he dropped apparatus five times. Raheem did five times in yeah. 20 seconds. Yeah. And, and yeah. she's like, you know, I re that was like one of the best points he made on your show. And I, I, I couldn't find any way to, to cut it into an audio clip because you guys kept bringing the bell. <laughs> That's Just so leave funny. the bell. It's fine. No, it's perfect. So when I when it, when we when we asked about it, I told him what it was. I said Steve Bannon has abused that word so much and, and has turned it into something. I said we literally. I, I instead went, of making fun of it, we just ring the I bell. Yeah. I, 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 I to Raheem. You said you hold you hold um what like the, the, the trophy or like the on both. Yeah, he <laughs> he has gone a forty five minute segment without using the word once, and then five times in twenty seconds. Um, but I said we went out and I bought a an old fashioned hotel bell on eBay 
a, a <laughs> brass bell. Yeah, and it sits on the podcasting table in between Noah and myself. And listen, we have to fight for who hits it sometimes. But we hit anybody that comes on the show and drops it. And some people have asked, and now more people know because of Twitter. But but he thought it was funny. Initially, I was really hesitant to hit the bell because I felt bad during interviews. But now I'm just like, whatever, fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> no you know, matter who it is, we can have Trump on, and I'll be like, he says apparatus, it's on. I don't see him saying it. No, but you just did. Shit. Um, you know the the funny part about it is is that we listen to so many other we play so much audio from you and like even when we play clips from like cnn and, and msnbc which were both in this segment already some of the audio quality because it's like people literally doing it from their living rooms is so terrible you hear feedback you hear like pinging and and buzzing and and white noise you know these people that come on they just say it as part of their thing and they don't stop they think it's probably just an email notification or yeah. somebody's phone isn't on silence and we just are, are able to use it as one of our longest um, you know, longest standing jokes on the show. In addition to Mike Lindell, which, which we joked about, you know, selling my pillows before we sold my pillows for years. And, and, and here we are, we're an official partner with my pillow. Yeah, weren't we actually saying use promo code steak, like even before it happened, Nick used to, yeah. God rest his soul. He's still alive, but he's not on the show. Anymore. I know. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, Mike Lindell has announced that he is going to run for, um, you know, GOP chair to, to chan, challenge Ronald McDaniel. And we want to start unpacking that a little bit. Uh, we kind of gave, you know, a little bit of a narrative about it the other day on the show on Friday because it was kind of late breaking. We were talking with um, Raheem about it over the weekend. And, and you know, I, I like the input he gets but or that he gives and, and, and you know, we kind of talk about but – we, we just can't figure it out. What is he? Is he a wrecking ball? Is he a bad actor? Is he someone that really just wants to try to help and feel like the only way he can help is, is, is do this? Is, you know, I, I just don't see a pathway to, uh, you know, him ever winning the GOP chair in, in, in this timeline, uh, maybe in other facets of the multiverse. Let's hear, um, well, everyone's favorite apparatus appreciator start to weigh in on this. We're going to hear two out of our last three clips uh on that with him norman's dead spot on is he not sir no he certainly is and uh look and i believe that kevin mccarthy is not the lion that we need right now to rise to that occasion and i say that based on the evidence of his past behavior you know congressman gates mentioned how he betrayed president trump following jan 6 when things were tough for the president tough for the maga movement he secretly conspired with Liz Cheney to try to force President Trump prematurely from office. Mm. He then later lied about it and got caught in that lie by Rachel Maddow, somebody I don't praise very often. But she did a, a great service for the country by outing him through investigative journalism and producing the receipts that he lied about that. Uh, he also, let's go to on-the-record stuff, he believes, of course, in, in escalating the war in Ukraine, which has been disastrous not just for our national security, but also for our economic security. And by the way, speaking of economic security, here's another reason I think we can't trust Kevin McCarthy, is his extremely close professional relationship with Frank Luntz. And not just that, but his personal relationship with Frank Luntz. They're actually roommates, which I find to be beyond strange, or they were at one time anyway. Yeah. Frank Luntz is the exact opposite of our movement's insistence on promoting the prerogatives of working class Americans. He is literally a stooge of the ruling class. He is in many ways their media mouthpiece, and he is extremely close professionally and personally with Kevin McCarthy. We get all of that taken in totality tells me there is no way 
that this man can rise to the occasion to be the lion we need to start healing this nation, particularly when the House of Representatives right now in Washington, D.C., is the only lever that we have. Now, it's a huge lever, very significant lever. But right now, it's our only lever. Okay, so we cannot entrust the House to Speaker McCarthy, in my view. And I think both Gates and Norman, they are both patriots. They are smart congressmen and they're right here. And believe me, this story is far from over, Steve. So part one of the unpacking right there and was a continuation of our narrative on, you know, what's going on with Kevin McCarthy. That's former Trump administration official Steve Cortez, who I like his narrative. It's a little dry because it's, you know, economy driven, a lot of charts and graphs. But it's where I can start to process a lot of these numbers that we talk about on the show because he gives really good disposition on the current state of the economy. He's kind of like a little bit different. Well, he doesn't curse as much, Peter Navarro. Mm. So, but we love Dr. Navarro on this show too. And I mean, that that's that's the thing. I think it's probably the most important point right here when getting into this uh, whole well continuing down GOP leadership. You got McCarthy in, in regards to the House. Obviously, Mitch McConnell's not going anywhere. And then you have Mike Lindell apparently challenging Ronald McDaniel. But you know, is it alternate realities? I, I mean. <laughs> Listen, everybody was on the 2020 train for rigged and stolen. The, the way the election panned out and all the stuff we saw and just the sole fact, my, my whole sticking point will always be Joe Biden never got 81 million votes. It's not no way possible in anywhere. Well, ever. 81 million real votes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he may have gotten 81 million votes, but who knows where they came from. I like where you're going with that. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, we saw a lot of stuff that happened after the midterms this year. And we had a long, hard, almost looking in the mirror type conversation with our listenership and ourselves, you know, because of the outcomes of the midterm elections, especially what happened in Arizona Mm -hmm. and trash. Regardless of what happened there, I, I said it on day one, November 9th. Listen, when these vote totals come in, that election's getting certified. There, there's no, Two ways about it. Yep. Doesn't matter about lawsuits. At this point, the election is over. Doesn't matter about disenfranchisement. None of that stuff matters. We have to live in reality. If we want to win elections moving forward in places where it's applicable, we have to change the game that's played and play their game. That's on social media. That's on early voting. That's on vote by mail and ballot harvesting. And to continue to propagate any other kind of outcome, because we've explained it to you legally multiple times on this show, and we've had not only a slew of really legitimate lawyers come on here, the former acting U.S. Attorney General is a regular guest on this show. Mm-hmm. He, the top lawyer in the entire United States of America. Won't mm-hmm. hear him very many other places other than his own podcast. He does gutfeld every once in a while because he's friends with some of those guys over there. But... For as busy as Matt Whitaker is, he doesn't take time out of his busy schedule just to jump on every single Newsmax and Fox News piece just to give two seconds of commentary he really doesn't care about. He likes to talk about stuff that he cares about. Mm-hmm. And this whole election thing is one of the things that he knows it's changed, and, and we have to change with it to be successful, and, you know, without putting words in his mouth, I'm paraphrasing. But the fact of the matter is we have to live in this reality. When we talk about what's really going to happen, I'll be the first to put my foot in the ground and and say Mike Lindell will never be the Republican chair of the GOP. He just won't. There's no viable pathway for... It'd be fun. 
what he has commented on politically for all of the good works that he does at my pillow for the Lindell recovery network, for the books that he's put out for the things he does for people after disasters, for how loyal he is to president Trump, for how friendly he is with his entire apparatus that he has set up around him. You know, this is nothing other than a distraction from the reality of the problem. Three straight election cycles where Ronna McDaniel has been the biggest failure in the history of the position, and she's not being held accountable for it to this point. Does Lee Zeldin come in and change that? I hope so. Does he even have a pathway with all of those big donors and vendors that back her to get enough votes to push her out? I have no idea. He's got a lot better chance than Mike Lindell does, though. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw him jump on with one of our favorite former White House press pool correspondents. Emerald Robinson yesterday and and talk about this narrative a little bit. I pulled the clip. Let's hear our favorite pillow salesman. Explain how this works, the process you will go through to challenge Rana and how you'll win it. Right. Well, there's 168 people that vote and there's three in every state. It's their lead. And then there's two people under them. So this is the national committee. Uh, So there's 150 and then another 18. So you have 168. Now, I have called quite a few of them. I wanted to and I'm going to call every one of them. I'm going to personally call every single one of them. I want to know what you know, what they see, what footprint do they see that because um, or what problems they see. And when you do that with any CEO of a business, you would want to find out, do your due diligence, take in all the information. And then here's how I'm going to fix it. And uh, uh, one of the things I know is that the big donors out there that are not going to give money anymore, and they've said it, they've said it straight out. Now that can change when you have a plan, which I will have a very good plan going forward of how we fix this. And uh, But I'm going to call each one and find out what their concerns are and, and address those concerns. Say, here's what I will do when I win. And uh, um, I think you. I think they all realize you need a different input to get a different output. There is no reason that Ronna McDaniel should have been in there uh, again for twenty. You know, again there in after twenty twenty, and uh, I think she did it on promises that she would fix the election integrity. If you're put, if you're pouring money, Emerald, into a, something that you're supposed to have these candidates, you know, the ground game, and we're going to get behind these candidates uh, and. Uh, put money into it. And if you put in, if you do everything that traditionally might work and it doesn't work, you better find out what the, de- what the variables are, what the deviations were, because, you know, yep. um, if, if you get a different output that you don't expect, you better find out what happened. And that's what they haven't done. Also, I believe that they've, uh, uh, that they purposely intentionally did not get behind candidates that were for election integrity. Anybody that spoke out for that, uh, they, they did not put resources towards and and uh, shame on the RNC and shame on Ronna McDaniel. Okay, so nothing he said there is untrue. Everything he said is 100% true. Right. I like the message. I love the man. Yes. Mm-hmm. But when you just look at the big machine, the... Yeah. It's an exclusive club and you're not a fucking part of it. There's the end of the show clip right there, by the way. Um, <laughs> after all the stuff, the the Stop the Steal symposium, the South Dakota was completely stolen in the presidential election. You know, the Chinese servers, the Georgia elections, not being able to say Brad Raffensperger's name correctly. When you just look at all that stuff on a big scale, 
it just doesn't lead up to what I could see in my brain looking at the black and white math of him being able to get enough. Now, does he change minds? First of all, would he be better? 100%. But it's just the way the big machine works. I mean, we can't even get a viable challenger for Kevin McCarthy when you've had an overwhelming majority of the people that matter in the Republican caucus, the Republican electorate across the country say he is not fit to be speaker. This guy still has over 100 votes, 150, 180 votes. He has 180 votes in the, in the you know, in the race to become speaker of the house already. So his peers obviously look at him a lot differently than actually reflects the will of the American people. That's problematic. Do the sponsors, the vendors, the voters, the influencers who are going to be pushing for Ronna McDaniel votes, see her in a different way. Remember, as much as this party wants to separate itself from the actual leader of it, who is Donald Trump, they want to do everything they can to separate themselves from it, delegitimize him, not acknowledge him as the true leader of the party, and not back him up for his presidential reelection and any candidates that he's willing to bring along with him. You tie Mike Lindell directly to him, and you run into the same problems that you have with, you know, candidates like future Speaker McCarthy or Mitch can't get him out of there, even though it is so documented how bad he fucked this midterm election up. He literally threw two Senate seats to not win the Senate on purpose because they were Donald Trump candidates. Yep. It's a real conversation you have to have. What I'd love to see Chairman Lindell, absolutely. Is it going to happen in this reality? I don't see it. Noah doesn't see it. Antoinette doesn't see it. A lot of people who come on the show and talk about it that live more in reality than in, I don't know, the Hopiism sphere see it. And that's just the way it is. In our last audio clip of the day, Mike Lindell jumped back on War Room Mm -hmm. with Steve Bannon to talk about, uh, well, what would happen if maybe Papa T came in and said, I wish I could do a Trump impersonation. Mike. <laughs> Zeldin's going to do it. Need you to sit this one out. <laughs> Donald, 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 Donald. We'll have to stop you right there. We're going to hold you through the break. <laughs> Let's hear or see if they say apparatus. If President Trump was to call you up today after seeing this and say, hey, Mike, I saw it. I know you. Uh, I love you. You're fantastic. You're a great patriot. But I think you ought to sit this one out. Uh, for the good of the RNC and the, for good of my candidacy in 2024. What would you say, sir? I would say, I'm sorry, sir, but my decision's already been made, and uh, and uh, I prayed about it, and this is God's will, and I'm, this is what I'm doing. And uh, I'm not, I've, as I've been, I think I've been straightforward with everyone in this country and the world. When I, when I do my due diligence, and when I go all in, I'm all in. It's all in. Mm. I mean, his backdrop is literally a Save America Trump rally sign and a huge painting of Jesus Christ. Yeah. How can you not, how can you even remotely dislike the guy? Yeah. I know, I know, right? Just talking about it makes me upset to have to talk about it, but you know, we're in such dire straits right now, especially after this midterm election, especially after if Mitch McConnell didn't fuck us out of those two Senate seats and it would be 51-49 right now, then it would be fantastic. We're just not there. And there's so much work to do in such a short amount of time. Like we were talking about before the midterms about how we were going to have time before January. And now we're, our next show is in December. That's how fast things are going. Mm -hmm. 
you know, we had Matt, Matt Whitaker on at the top of the show talking about how he's already popping his popcorn for the Iowa caucuses that are a year away. And it's like, we're going to be covering that extensively on our show. And it's going to seem like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish it was tomorrow for all the shows we'll have to do and editing that we'll have to do. And yeah. guess we'll have to schedule in between then, but we'll have a good time doing it. And, uh, you know, moving forward, we're just going to continue to track this like we do everything else. We're going to try to bring you the fairest narrative on it. Uh, as we do with just about everything. I mean, we like who we like, and we love who we love. People like Donald Trump and Mike Lindell, we love both of them. But, you know, sometimes when they're just absolutely wrong, if we don't tell you that they are, things like Dinnergate and GOP chairmanship candidacies, we've got to tell you both sides of the story, and at the end of the day, let you make your own decision. Good way to come... Flying back out of the first phase of the holiday weekends. Noah, what do you think? Well, it was a good holiday weekend. We're back to business. <laughs> and it's been good. Certainly are. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear the other 190 versions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podai, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app or even on Frank's Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to our two guests today, the former acting U.S. Attorney General, current host of Liberty and Justice, Mr. Matt Whitaker, and of course, MAGA's most interesting operative, the infamous Vish Burra. Always great sitting down with both of them. Excellent content for the show today. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some of your hard-earned cash heading into this holiday season at our partners, because when you do that, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again. Our favorite is definitely my pillow. If you like sleep and enjoy a good cup of coffee in the morning, Mike Lindell's got you taken care of. Enter promo code STEAK at checkout. You're going to get big, big savings there. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, get a subscription. MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative. one 800 658 45 the top tier of ear gear the best damn headphones that i've ever owned can only be found at odyssey get those ear needs taken care of if you're doing anything in the studio you got to make the investment odyssey.com find them on facebook and instagram as well my patriot cigar company they're a premium smoke for freedom loving patriots and a promo code stake there you're getting 15 percent off your order 100 bucks of purchasing power will get you free shipping and a 10 dollars e-gift card with every purchase go Hook our good friend Alan up. MyPatriotCigars.com is the website there. Stay ready, gear holsters. Mm. You know what? If you wanted a picture of Elon Musk on a concealed carry Kydex holster, they'll get that order out faster than ever before, and it will be of the highest of qualities. Mm. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. I think I'm going to man rub some chicken tonight. The chicken rub's pretty good. Yeah, it is. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram. Manrubs.com is the website there. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all your gun-related needs. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You're going to like the stuff they've got in their store. You're going to love their Instagram a little bit more. Mediocremedic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least... Go get yourself a zero fucks duck. As soon as the show's over today, I'm switching out the uh, John Goodman one we currently have in the podcast studio with Santa Duck since we're about to enter our December shows on Friday. 
So go out and, and hook up all of our great sponsors. Dumpbox.us is the website. You can find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Upcoming shows. We'll be back on Friday. Former Trump campaign official Paul Manafort. Surgeon General of Florida, Dr. Lopato. Our favorite Save America attorney, Christina Bob, and America's most banned woman, Laura Loomer, will all be here. Cash Patel's in on the 6th of December. Congressman-elect from the great state of Ohio, Max Miller, and Trump personal attorney and current spokeswoman for MAGA Inc., Alina Habba, will be here on December 9th. Sarah Weaver of The Daily Caller is scheduled for the 13th, and J.W. Gibbons of The Daily Caller is scheduled for the 16th of December, and we'll be filling up those spots. We just talked with Eli Crane today, congressman-elect from Arizona. He's going to be joining us. Mike Collins will be joining us. We're going to be sitting down with Jake Denton again. We'll try to get Devin Nunes in before Christmas. We'll get you guys all squared away with everything you need here on Steak for Breakfast. Friends of the Week, we've got our truth... Social Twitch streamer crew led by none other than Beastie Man 420 and the Siberian Kitten, Thomas Bama, 13 Gen Patriot, Jason E. Van Gundy, and some call me Tim79. Make up our Truth Social friend group. Ghost Hammer, we love him. Uh, we also love Spoopy, shares everything, always creeping. Funniest profile picture on Twitter, probably. <laughs> Will S is also a steak for breakfast enjoyer, and so is. Matthew, the upside-down man who appropriately changed his Twitter handle to such this week over Thanksgiving break. In addition to that, we got some of our favorite meme team. Let's see who's on the list today. Mazemore, you're going to stay in there. Hispanics for DeSantis, welcome to the party. William Occam memes, next time we have a meme team show, you're definitely in there. Mostly peaceful, grand old memes, midnight Mitch, right-wing savages. Let's go, Brenda, Edward Russell, and dumbass Photoshop. Guys, things to remember between now and Friday. Number one, do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. Noah? He's will be all right. He's under the weather. He's a little cranky today. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Regardless of what happens in Republican leadership, we don't talk about American greatness enough. It's time to start talking about it again. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 191 of the Steak for Records podcast, and we'll be back with 192 on Friday. Paul Manafort, Dr. Lopato, Christina Bob, and Laura Loomer, all scheduled. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Antoinette. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening, and take care. But there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason for this. There's a reason education sucks, and it's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big, wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. 
Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table to figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your social security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. <laughs> you and I are not in the big club. 